and welcome back to the pod in the pendulum the podcast covering every horror movie franchise one movie in one episode at a time i'm your host mike snoonian and this week we are very excited to dive into a new series with the original final destination before we do that let's welcome our co-host back to the show Lindsay travis Lindsay, how are we doing this week hi i'm good i'm ready to talk final destination as you know i've been very hyped to get into this franchise and you've got your fancy latte in the background. Yeah. You've got the dog, your dog just sitting in the background, super hype. Like, what's up? I'm a dog. Like, it's yes. wonderful. It's I'll great. get my cat. All right. You I'll get the whole squad here. I kicked the rabbit out because she was looking at me like, where's my banana? Like, she wants a banana. So I had to give her the boot because she kept nipping at my toes, like, feed me some more. So it's a very Not specific look. See? <laughs> She is something else, man. She's kind of spoiled, but we love her. 
Um, but we have a, oh my God, I didn't even ask Greg how I pronounce your last name. So I'm going to butcher it. Go for it. Let's All hear right. It. Or you're going to be like, yeah, that's what we call it today. So <laughs> um, from Daily Grindhouse, we have joining us this week, we have Greg Mookie. Uh, I, that's close? actually what I was called in elementary school, but it's Moochie. Moochie? It's okay, though. Like Poochie. <laughs> So it's kind of like, Probably, I was like, oh, it's definitely Moochie, right? And I got nervous. I was like, how could you get that wrong? But you did it. <laughs> Mookie, yeah. I can fuck it up. <laughs> I can pretty much fuck anything up. So it's totally fine. It's okay. You're making it nostalgic. There we go. Great. Just like this movie, basically. It's like a warm <laughs> walk down memory lane right now. Greg, how are you doing this morning? I, I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. So, I want at first for, for both of you, because Lindsay, you had said like when we were trying to decide like what's the next franchise we're going to do. And I had brought up like possibly doing Final Destination. You had just said like just did like a rewatch of this with a bunch of friends right now. So for both of you, like what was the first time like you would really experience this movie and this series? And like, why do you love it so? I defer to the guests first. Let's hear. Uh I mean, I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Um, I was 14 when this came out. Um, but I remember the trailer just kind of being, I got to have like Devin Sawa rolling down the hill and always getting stuck by the branch. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I watched it when it came out on VHS because uh, it had that cool like foil VHS mm-hmm. cover. Um, but yeah, if I don't really have many memories of watching it. Uh, Man, sounds very anticlimactic, but uh, wow. I think I didn't really yeah. get around to it until the second came out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just remember being super hyped about that opener, um, which I think totally blows its load. I think Final Destination really keeps the suspense sort of going throughout its 98 minute runtime. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For me, being, I think I was in eighth grade going on high school. So to me, I was just like, oh, is that what teens are like? You know, like I can't wait to almost die and then, you know, I don't know, find sex with Ali Larder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless it gets deleted. I had a much different <laughs> high school experience that did not happen for me. In high <laughs> yeah, no. That was my life. How about you, Lindsay? <laughs> Uh, I want to say about the same. I think I was in high school when it came out. I was probably in grade nine. And uh, yeah, I think the really interesting thing about all these like late 90s, early 2000s slasher, I mean, if you want to call it a slasher, but let's just say franchises, um, is that, again, I saw so many of them out of order because I wasn't old enough when a lot of them came out. But I think Mm -hmm. Final Destination was one that was like a first installment that came out when I was like, going to the theaters with my friends to see scary movies. So I did see this one in theaters and we were being totally blown away by it. The Mm -hmm. whole plane thing. And I remember like the twist of like the order that they sat in was like, whoa. And like, Mm -hmm. so we were all like talking about it after. Um, Yeah. And it was really exciting and fun for us and that there was like a franchise and the franchise ran on for so long that when we were watching through them, I didn't remember which one I had, which ones I'd seen. And like, if I saw them in theaters, which I probably did, and I like missed a couple and a lot of it was like really fresh and new um, because it had such a long span through like formidable years, you know? They do start to blend in. Like they definitely do. Like I definitely mix up like who died in what movie and what kill was what. So it does because it keeps the same formula for all five movies. Like there's really like this is the 
don't if it's not broke don't fix it series like they don't change anything yes and no like they yeah it's the same movie what is it five six times but um at the same time like they're so different like you can really tell that it's different creators each time because they look really different even mm -hmm. though the kills kind of tend to look the same they look so different i think especially five looks like a completely different Ooh. movie but it still has the same tone and vibe of like oh yeah. my god water oh no um yeah and three and three is totally polished i think that's like mm -hmm. james wong sort of I don't know, like post the one, which I'm a huge proponent of. I think it's mm -hmm. one of the best action movies of the 2000s. And uh, yeah, it's just smoother. But yeah, I know. David David Ellis, I think, did the second one. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think Reddick wrote yeah, it on uh, his own. Yeah, I know people love that movie. Uh, for our rewatch, I I don't know. It's It doesn't hold up, in my opinion. I, mean, I love the lore of it, but I think all the deaths are... Uh, aside from the guy cooking, uh, what spaghetti with nipple rings, mm -hmm. is like after that I just don't really care. I guess. I hope that's his like IMDb credit. The guy cooking spaghetti with nipple, <laughs> nipple rings. rings. <laughs> that's the one where the dude is at the dentist, right? Where he has that long scene where you think he's going to buy it at the dentist, and then he's, he's choking, fine, yeah. And then all of a sudden he just like like a the glass falls on him or something like. Totally. Well, well he's like a five-year-old. He like sees these pigeons and he starts to chase them, you know, <laughs> and that's his death. Uh, you know, homage to American Werewolf in London with David running through Piccadilly <laughs> Square. Um, I know for me, like I, this is one of the early DVDs I had gotten. Like I remember at the, the time, I, yep, I remember And New Line was like one of the first companies to really embrace dvd in a way that like oh we can cram all of these bonus things on a disc and charge an extra five bucks and people will buy it at that point so you remember it had like all the bonus features and commentaries and like you had a you could slip it into your uh dvd drive on your computer and get the script and like bob shea and new line like really embraced the technology so i remember specifically like watching i was living with a uh, friend at the time, like him and his wife, I was in between like what apartment I was going to get for work and just like sitting on the sofa, like watching this movie with their dogs and like thinking, oh my God, this movie is so much goddamn fun. Like I'm really enjoying it. Um, well, that and the, uh, the, fight, the Fight Club DVD, I remember it being like a mm -hmm. really expansive menu where yep. like they take you behind the scenes of the plane crash or the explosion, mm -hmm. which I think, I think this movie does a much better job. Mm-hmm. I think until you get to Lost, there's really not like a better explosion in media. Like it's really done, it's really done well. And I think it's this one that holds up better than like the one in the fifth movie, which we'll get to, you know, in about a month. We'll get to that in about a month. Wow. Okay. Strong words from a... I, that's a hot take, the like no better plane crash scene. That's a hot take. It is a hot take. What, then, then, then Fight Club? <laughs> I mean... Uh, also, that that's a hot take that this a, is like the only one. This is the best one until Lost. Oh, I'm a man of strong conviction, so yeah, I, I can I like was, fight you on it. I don't I like have why a would retort. you retort? I what just you am would like, fight on though. Like you would really that would that's what we're gonna put our dukes up over. Yeah, like, that's, that's gonna be the thing that shatters the whole. Down. Yeah, the I podcast mean, I, is over. I mean, I'm I'm rewatching Lost. I'm like almost done with season two, and I mm -hmm. think that like the season one is like one of the most fluid, perfect seasons mm -hmm. ever. 
And I love how crazy the show gets, but there's just something so simple about plane crash survivors. Right. You know. Then yeah. you get to by season three, you're like, we are definitely dragging things along to get to like 22 episodes a season. Like we definitely. Well, that's the writer's strike. Yeah. I think that was four. No, four and five. Four was the one affected by the writer's strike. Oh, because there's only eight episodes. In three? There's something really small. No, in three, they broke it into two bits. There's eight episodes, and then they had a break, and that's like one arc, and then they had like the rest of the season. Because I remember the first eight or like the others, like that's when you meet Ben and all that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or no, that's when they're captured by Ben. In the zoo. That was its own thing, yeah. Um, after three, I remember like reading the how like Hughes and Lindelof went to ABC and they're like, we got to wrap it up in three years. Like we can't do, um, 24 episodes a season of this for like 10 more years. Like we don't get enough stories. Um, oh yeah. But then four, there, you're right. There was a strike. So they added stuff in for five and, but that's another, we could that's do a whole podcast. Yeah. yeah. Another podcast right there. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I have passionate thoughts on lost. Well, so I've actually never even watched Lost. Please don't throw tomatoes at me. But, um, but you have passionate no thoughts. It's wild. No, but I really like Lindelof. And I remember when Watch was, or sorry, when Lost was on, mm-hmm. I wasn't watching it, but I kind of like started to hear about it and started to care when it was already in like season three. Mm-hmm. So I was like, when it's over, everyone tell me if I should like go back and watch mm-hmm. it. it was kind of my thing. And I got a lot of, like everyone said, no, don't watch it. But I think that was just because especially at the time people are so hard on finales that yeah. they just are like your shows aren't worth it because the finale sucks so yeah. i kind of have shed that i think that most of the people that told me not to watch it would tell me to watch it now it's but i, I would this, watch like it. yeah oh, but i watched this it's like wild. really yeah. long interview with lindelof like years ago and he ends up doing like an hour-long post-mortem about the whole thing with lost and he talks about like when he came on and what he did to it and like what he did to the first season and it's unbelievable like i i again i haven't watched it but hearing what he the small changes he made to season Mm -hmm. one you're like you guys made a good hire and i hated that it kind of ended up becoming that he didn't do a good job with the show Mm -hmm. um but he really talks exactly what you said about like every time he was like please we have to stop writing the show (laughs) i think he's the reason why i think lost might be the key reason why so many shows now have like, all right, we're doing like X amount of seasons with X amount of episodes. This is our story. And then we're going to wrap it up at that point, which I think is a much smarter way of telling stories rather than the old way of media where it's like, all right, we're going to get to a hundred episodes so we can syndicate it and everyone will be rich. And then we'll kind of go from there. Like you don't really see that as much anymore. Like look at Watchmen, look what he did. Mm -hmm. He had a contained story, he told it, it was unbelievable. And he was like, I don't want to write anymore. Yeah, Yeah, I think think the interesting thing about Lost and Final Destination is that, you know, usually on shows like Buffy, you have uh, Monsters of the Week. And with Mm -hmm. Lost, you have Characters of the Week. So you go through like their backstory. And I think with Final Destination, you kind of break it down by like episodes almost like every character has their own death. And it's like a small moment in it. And I mean, you could say that about any slasher, but I feel like the buildup in Final Destination sort of makes it more uh, monumental mm-hmm. or like episodic. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. you have Alex sort of having these mini premonitions and then, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but at the end it's like uh, clear is sort of like gifted that she's like, they're like in Paris, you know, and, she sees the bus in the reflection and it's almost as if like she's given this 
curse essentially because then mm-hmm. in season or an episode or sorry in father destination 2 she's like crazy in an yep. insane asylum and you know it's a much, much better place to be than a cabin with a bunch of knickknacks that he's like taping to the <laughs> yeah. walls like it's, it's the most dangerous place it's, yeah. The, yeah. it's the most bizarre decision that he yeah. made you have like the, the fish hook that comes through the door somehow like yeah he's like rust tetanus how was that thing that wouldn't that be a slow death like wouldn't like if you got tetanus it would be a relatively slow but very painful death like, yeah, I, like a civil war soldier yeah <laughs> you would have like an old-timey doctor with like a twirly mustache come out to amputate his leg yeah. at that point it's just you know, so the rusted absurd. saw <laughs> oh boy it's so absurd because part of me was like oh i wonder if this is you know his instinct is to like get physically away like he thinks death is there so he's getting physically away from it to go to this cabin which is a bit misguided but it really makes no sense that he flees a place that he knows really well where he has safety protocols to go somewhere where he's like lighting a kerosene lamp that right. he's like this is yes. safer yep that's right <laughs> not even like a battery powered little lamp like it's like hmm. we're going straight flame baby straight flame and flame. gas but i'll put some water around it and right. that's definitely safer i'll but, put it over um, this pile of old oil rags and nothing bad can possibly happen here and there's like cabin with like loose sharp things dangling mm-hmm. everywhere that he just like tapes makes no sense right. but you know yeah yeah it feels like it almost tries to be um i guess more than the sum because i feel like it was, it was reading a bunch of like sites and behind the scenes stuff no one wanted to mention soul survivor the uh mm. 1984 like tom everhart i think movie and that movie's like I, i'm not in love with it but it's kind of wild you know there's like ghosts there's a lot of there's like a zombie that comes back and mm-hmm. you know death sort of takes on like the embodies like different different people or things and i feel like in the cabin it's like that's when you see like more shadows moving like the wind and like it's like mm-hmm. death is an entity rather than just because in the in the sequels it's like death is its own thing kind of but here it's like it pushes water and then it retracts right. the water it's like it's almost like as if it is a slasher and it's like mm-hmm. killing people and covering up its foot foot tracks and all that well let's yeah. talk let's talk briefly about how this movie was developed i think you kind of hit it right there greg it definitely had a lot of different shifts in its tone and who the killer was going to be or what the killer was going to be as it went from like a concept to the final thing we saw on screen so uh the original writer of the movie jeffrey reddick he had written this as a spec script for the x-files uh his script had introduced scully's brother where the brother would have had this vision that a flight he was about to board was going to crash so just like in the movie, he kind of has like a, a meltdown and is like, this is going to crash. Let me get out of here. He leaves the flight as well as a number of other people um, right before it takes off. And then after that, like one by one, all of the survivors are killed off. And in the X-Files episode, like the killer wound up being like the local sheriff that was investigating this crash. The final reveal was going to be that like, the sheriff was actually dead and death had taken over the corpse of the sheriff in order to kind of commit these crimes, which is like, yikes, that's kind of fucked up Um, for like mid nineties television. That's pretty ambitious Um, Mm -hmm. decisions made like that. They like the script, but you know what? Like let's shop it around. This actually would work better as a feature film. So the conceit of the plane crash sticks but Reddick's idea becomes a lot more of a formulatic slasher films. In his original script, 
the characters were adults, not high schoolers. After Scream comes out and it's super successful, the powers that be, like Bob Shea, who's, you know, looking to option the script, says, well, take another pass at it, but make the characters high school kids instead of, like, adults, because, you know, high school slashers are pretty hot right now. And then after that, the next wave is says, well, you know, let's make our movie different from all these like cookie cutter slashers coming out. There's not going to be a villain. The killer is going to be death itself. Um, at this point, New Line still hasn't picked up the movie officially. So one of the producers like Craig Perry says, look, if you don't pick this movie up, Miramax will. Um, if you, you have until Monday or we're going to take it over to them and there's an offer on the table. And I'm just thinking, like, given the Weinstein's notorious penchant for, like, not only, like, the shit that Harvey Weinstein pulled, but just from a creative perspective, how they fucked with every movie they got their hands on, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and their own, like, really, like, toxic creative influences they would exert. I can only shudder to think how different this movie would be overall if, like, Miramax had gotten it. But Bob Shea says, fine, here's a check. Like, we'll do this movie. So Reddick's final script is way darker than the movie ended up being. Uh, and he talks about how A Nightmare on Elm Street was such a huge influence for him. I think that's going to come up later when we talk about grieving. I think so off air, Lindsay, you would raise a really good point and we'll get to later on. And I think you do see Elm Street in that. So Reddick's work, way more dire in its tone and you see like teen suicide plays a huge factor in it so a few things that are in it's his like head. every character yeah like literally everyone kills themselves in this movie like after the crash like todd leaves a message for his dad to apologize to him because the brother is still dead and dad races home freaked out in the meantime like todd has fashioned a noose for himself hung it from the garage door opener. When dad gets home, he clicks the garage door opener and Todd hangs himself from that, which is like... Well, his dad's also like a pastor, I think. I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't read that part of it, but okay, is that um, I it? mean, it, it could have been. I mean, I mm -hmm. don't know how that would tie in yeah. unless it starts to sow some like religious mm -hmm. motifs, but... And a lot of these like behind the scenes things, I'm getting like there was an article on consequences of sounds. They had an oral history of... Uh, Final Destination and I think Digital Spy as well. So a lot of these behind the scenes is where I'm pulling mm -hmm. this from right now. I'll link to the articles in our show notes because they're really fun reads. Um, the two young women that were like best friends on the plane, um, they're sisters in this draft and one of them is like an honor roll student. She's like does what her parents want all the time. She's a pillar of the community and the other one is kind of a fuck up. Um the A student stays on the plane and the other girl gets off it. So after the crash, like the sister that survives tries to fill her sister's place. Like I'll try harder in school. I'll do what my parents want. Like I'll change how I dress and she can't pull it off. Like she just can't live up to those expectations. So she ends up killing herself by lighting herself in fire. Again, star. Um, uh, dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. So just... Uh, so I haven't read this and I'm mm -hmm. actually curious, is the um, revised script much more like a metaphorical death is coming for them and it, like by way of survivor's guilt basically, versus it's like an actual... Um, with a couple of the other deaths, like it seems like they're being haunted by a supernatural presence. Okay. So 
Carter, the dude played by Kerr Smith, like after Terry dies, and I think she dies the same way. And it's insinuated that he's like, you know, in the final product, he's not exactly the world's best boyfriend. He's kind of a dick. Um, but in Reddick's script, the dude is like emotionally abusive to the point that Terry has an eating disorder. So her ghost confronts him screaming like, look at what you made me do when I was alive. And she like pukes up her like stomach and intestines. And at which point he like jumps in front of a moving subway and kills himself. This is very different. It's, I'm so compelled because this is such a this is a completely different movie that um, is almost making me rethink how mm-hmm. I watched Final Destination because mm-hmm. I always took it as a very like straight up okay death yeah death wants you and death is gonna get well, you but I now kind of see this like metaphor of like yeah. I shouldn't be the one who's alive and what right. that, that's mm-hmm. oh gosh this is a much heavier. Yeah. Uh, subject matter than i'd expected there's, and i'd ever taken it for i guess there's like two more there's like uh one young woman who um she's not in the final script like she had tried to commit suicide before the events of the film and after the crash like the ghosts of the dead kids from the plane haunt her to the point that she makes another attempt in her life where she's successful um and i put alex dies in this version but that's not true he did live but him and clear do um, consummate the relationship clear gives birth to their child and i guess in this version at one point like clear should have like died but didn't and they're like oh because like you're pregnant and bringing a life into the world like death can't get to you yay you'll survive the movie ends like in the um delivery room and she gives birth to the kid and you think everyone survived and then death basically makes its presence known and the only one survive that survives is alex at the end of like reddick's movie so i you know it did... hmm? oh, oh sorry uh, i was gonna say like the i think in the revised or the original script it was like uh clear went she goes back to the, the crash site mm-hmm and she relives the entire like, plane crash. And then it's like all the ghosts from the plane, I guess, form a circle around her or like mm-hmm. visit her. And that's when she dies because okay. I guess like the plane falls on her like because she's reliving it. It's, uh-huh. it doesn't really make much sense, but it has a lot of ghosts. Yeah, there's Donnie Darko. It's a way more <laughs> of a supernatural thriller at that point. So Reddick turns his script over to Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Uh, writing partners on the X-Files who'd done like a number, had written a number of the most iconic episodes. Um, they decide like, look, we got to do a couple things to this to make it a little bit more commercial, which I kind of agree with because I don't know how you're going to get four more movies out of this with that original vision. Although I really, really want to see this movie. Um, Wong and Morgan give it a way more lighter touch overall. The suicide angle is taken out completely. And Reddick also creates, credits them. And he, Reddick is like really upfront about saying like, look, what they did, credit where credit is due. They had some awesome ideas. And what he says that they did that really shapes the series is they come up with the idea of like these Rube Goldberg machine inspired deaths, which really becomes like the hallmark of the series. So the Blu-ray has a really good extra on it talking about the test screenings for the movie and how that shaped how this movie originally, how this movie ended up being released. Um, 
the romance between Alex and Clear is like way more explicit. And Lindsay, you had said how you would actually watch these bonus scenes. Like I didn't because like the 30 seconds they show in this little like mini feature, I'm like, oh my God, these are painful. Um, these are really, so what, what can you tell us about like the more explicit romance that we're talking here? I don't are know we that talking I saw... explicit like hanging dong or are we talking well... like... Yes. Sorry. As a wow. hallmark of two thousand early two thousand slashers, they they hang dong. No, um, I don't. I don't know that I've seen all of it per se, but um, as I'm sure we'll get to the alternate ending, um, which I assume uh, didn't scream so well for the test audiences. Um, there's an alternate ending um, that much mirrors that original story of the the baby, um, and with that being removed. Um, so it does, we don't need to explain how she got pregnant, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Wait, how does um, that work? Yeah. Yeah, no so We're not let me start from the show. beginning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the birds and the bees. So mm -hmm. there's this bit where they have this, this romance. So there's the scene on the beach where Clear kind of opens up a bit. Um, that scene happens very differently in the deleted scenes, or I guess what I imagine is the test screen uh, mm -hmm. version of the movie. Uh, and the conversation escalates in a very weird way. They share more. You kind of learn a bit more about what's going on with Clear's parents because they're pretty absent and you don't really know a lot about why. Um, and so she fills in a bit of the blanks there. And then they kind of have that very, in, one of, in my opinion, one of like the worst scary movie cliches is like something really traumatic happens and then everyone bones, which like I understand mm -hmm. that it's like a high emotional situation, but I'm like, your friend's body is right there. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it always makes me uncomfortable. But uh, it happens. Wait, in they movie. do it in. They do it in the morgue, like in front. No, 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 no. That's about. I'm. I'm saying okay. in general, I don't like okay. this trope. And so, like, they're dealing with like all. And like, I get it. You know, emotions are high. People, you know, it's fine. Um, maybe that's just not my own personal experience with emotion. But they have this like weird share moment that's like very grim and sad after their like friends have just died brutally, and then they just like bone down on this beach. Mm -hmm. It's so bone awkward down. and so clunky. Yeah, they bone down. That's the that's the proper word. That's what they use in academia. Um, is bone down, <laughs> and it's super awkward and clunky. It's not fun to watch. Not sexy, but it whatever. But what's weirder about it being removed is when you watch the the final cut as it exists. Um, suddenly, clear and uh, gosh, what's Devin Sawa's character's name? Alex. Alex. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly, clear and Alex are just kind of. A couple now like they, mm -hmm. they you know touch shoulders in the car and it's like not awkward or flirtatious they're just like oh we did it um so it's even weirder that they seem to have this relationship that is founded on not yeah. much um right. but probably ultimately a good decision to cut it out because it's a very weird scene that mm -hmm. should, yeah close. and it ends with like alex dies and then like the baby is born and carter lives and it's yeah. very modeling it's very like it's it's like this very kind of like it's maltzy ending bizarre. and uh, yeah. audiences are like you need to cut all this out like this is hot garbage so bob shea is like here's a couple million bucks kill carter and <laughs> have some fun really that's what it is like because all the scores that came back like here are some of the comments they read they kept the um cards so or they're reading like the test score comments and they're like too much pooping was one of them. Like, there's way too much pooping in this movie. There's pooping there are, in it? There's, like... Well, there's, there's, like, a top-down shot of them yeah. in the stalls the before they board the plane. Because then, I think... I have the quote here somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
Um, do do do. Wow. Uh, yeah, he has a tw- this episode. Yeah, he says I got to torque a wicked cable, which I don't even know what that <laughs> means. <laughs> what was he like? Was he like, oh, blasted Duke is cool, but I'm gonna come torque up with something a cable. better. That is torque awesome. a wicked cable. That is great. Like they're definitely um, from Massachusetts. <laughs> absolutely, that is wonderful. Oh my god, that, that is that wonderful. Um, so, but the other why did I write that down? The romance is. <laughs> The romance doesn't work. So they cut it, they reshoot the ending with like the scene in Paris at that point. And then, you know, they have like the big dramatic ending. Hey listeners, Mike here. I just want to cut into the show with what I promise will be a brief pitch for our Patreon account. And I got musical cues and everything to not run past. If you love what we do and what we bring each week in terms of analysis, humor, criticism, insight, charm, good looks, really the complete package. We hope you consider supporting us by becoming a Patreon of our pod. Your contributions allow us to build what we've done for nearly 100 episodes now by paying for our server's hosts, by purchasing better recording and editing equipment, and by giving us the funds we need to buy the movies, the books, the documentaries, and other research materials we use to bring each episode to life. Our weekly show is always going to be free, and we know that times are tight for everyone right now. We also know there's a number of phenomenal podcasts deserving of your support. That's why, as well as our gratitude, we offer bonus content to all levels of patrons, starting at just two bucks. Every month, we deliver a complete bonus episode on a movie we might not otherwise cover, and all of our patrons get access to our exclusive Slack channel where we talk horror, music, any other types of movies. Really, it's a cool little community with our patrons right now that are all just awesome people. With 2021 right around the corner, I got some more ideas up my sleeve on how to give everybody some more content and some more swag. So please help keep the show strong by heading to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a supporter today. And now back to the show. There's a lot of tension and we'll probably talk about it more in part two and part three, but there's a lot of like tension between Reddick and then Morgan and Wong. Um, after the latter to reshape the script, like New Line still allows Reddick to kind of pass notes to them but they submit them to uh, Wong and uh, Morgan anonymously. So Reddick thinks he's just like giving them his notes saying, hey, you know, we need to change these things. And they're, and they know that it's him. The big thing that comes out of it is like they're the first 30 pages of the rewritten script contain, according to Reddick, like three homophobic jokes. Now, that's not cool to begin with, but Reddick And the is, Wong script is homophobic? Yes. Okay. Yes. So Reddick is like, look, I am an out gay man. Um, so number one, this is offensive. But number two, like, if this movie does get made, I don't want to be doing press for this movie answering these questions. Like, that's not fucking cool. So he submits these notes, like, over and over, and they keep ignoring him. And finally, he goes to, like, Bob Shea, and is like, what's going on? So when, when uh, Morgan and Wong learn that it's Reddick, like, I guess he's on set with them. Actually, I'll, I'll read from this little um, segment here. This is from 
consequence of sound um, death is not the end an oral history of final destination and again we'll link to the whole article in our notes here so i'll read this one bit and i think we've gotten through like the backstory of this movie but i found this kind of fascinating so a bumping point or this is from reddick a bumping point was in the original couple of drafts there were three homophobic jokes in the first 30 pages one was in a memorial service they were unnecessary I kept giving notes on that and it kept going back to them to take the jokes out. They kept not taking them out. I ended up writing Bob Shea an email saying, why are they in there? I am gay. And if this movie comes out and people ask about it, what am I supposed to say? I tried to get them to take them out and they wouldn't. Bob, God love them, sent that email to James and Glenn. They got really pissed off. They weren't pissed off about the note they were pissed off that no one told them I was obviously part of the New Line team giving notes on all the drafts. I didn't find out any of that until I got back from shooting my scene. I was like, oh, they weren't really friendly to me on set. And Craig, the other producer, says, well, they really don't like you. I said, why? He said, Bob sent that email you sent him. I said, well, did you explain that I've given every draft of the script to read and been giving notes he said nah we really didn't want to rock the boat so yes. they were like really pissed off yeah. they're still involved but i found that fascinating and i believe um there's another podcast uh, the new flesh podcast that had reddick on as a guest and i i would go back and listen to it because it's a fascinating interview i think it's when they talk about part two because he's a lot more heavily involved in part two, which I know Greg, you said is like, yeah, you know, like aside from the opening, I'm not, you're not super keen on it. And I think for a lot of folks, like that's actually the high point of the series, but you know, interesting. Yeah. I mean, on this rewatch, uh, I was totally blown, blown away by three. Mm -hmm. um, I liked it, but this one, uh, I think it was really nice kind of kicking it back to teens. Cause with the mm -hmm. second, I think my issue with two, um, four and uh, partially with five um but less so is that i just have no investment with the adults like i think most of them are morons and yep. i just kind of I, I think that it adds the comedic bits to it but like when three grounds it back with like you know high schoolers uh, it feels more like a horror yeah. film it feels more like uh this like slasher kind of movie and mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i mean yeah, I am kind of surprised at the amount of love two gets. I feel like it coasts a bit off of the opener, which mm. I prefer the roller coaster mm -hmm. uh, personally. But I definitely feel you in part four. Like that is the entry in the series where I'm like, I don't like any of these people. Oh like, my god, they're the they worst. Can, yeah, they can all kick rocks as far as I'm concerned. They are yes. definitely uh, the worst. Yeah, they they all have their. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I love the death where he. Guess his intestines pull through his his butthole, but <laughs> it's just like uh, like they're, they're all like that to me is much more of a, a homophobic film or a script. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the interesting yeah. thing that you brought up about um, there being a, a homophobic line at the memorial is that uh, rewatching it, I think Alex goes up to Todd because apparently it's been thirty nine days since the crash, and I mm -hmm. guess they're they don't like hang out anymore. I guess the dad blames Alex because mm -hmm. in the beginning he tells Alex to look after his two sons and I guess he blames him. And so Alex goes up to Todd and he's like, you know, uh, I don't mean it in any other way, but I miss you. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's clearly like one of those like 2000s, uh, yeah. no homo kind of yes. statements. Yeah. 
which was huge back then. It was like calling yeah. everything gay was massive. And right. I'm so glad that that's over. Can't yeah. have, yeah, yeah. A can't have two men, you know, admit platonic love for one another. <laughs> that will make them queer. So yeah. they just uh, want to bone down them. They just did not. Yeah, there was, there was no, not, homo, but I want to bone down. Yeah, there was definitely not a version where Alex and Todd bone down on the beach. It's no. not in. They want to make that clear. So what do we love about this movie? Because I think there are a lot of things to love. And I have kind of gone on here for a long time now. So I'm going to take a step back and leave it to the panel. And Lindsay, I see you're giving jazz hands. So no, I'm waving to, well, I mean that too. I was waving to you. I heard him yell. Um, I, uh, yeah, I love this movie. It's so fun. Uh, I think of things to love. The opening is unreal. Um, when we, by the time we saw it in theaters, we'd seen the trailer, we knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, but I love the way it's shot where they're still arguing. And then there's just this like pop in the background. Um, it's so like, what? It's so jarring. And I think it sets such a cool tone that it didn't force us. Like we already watched the plane crash in the, in the premonition sequence. Mm -hmm. It didn't force us to watch some cartoony secondary crash. It just was like during an argument in the background off screen, kind of in a weird way, like that hereditary moment where you see her on the roof and everyone in the theater or on the ceiling and everyone sees her at a different point in the theater and mm. hear some gasps. It was really like that, just that like, <gasps> like you kind of see the plane taking off and then it's mm -hmm. just like, which is just unreal. Yeah, like, so. the, the glass shatters. I think the beauty about that is that you see it in the trailer, but you don't feel it as much. And like one of that glass pops, you just get like the goosebumps. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even like, as you said it, I was like, Ugh. like you yeah, just, like, yeah, you feel that in your whole body. And I think that's so great. Um, so that's definitely something I really it's love. great too. Like the way they do so much chaos going on in that moment, like Alex and Carter are like throwing punches and people are trying to pull them off. And, you know, it's not like everybody is staring at the plane and it's quiet. It's like, it works so well because it happens in this moment of like complete anarchy, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a great moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I do see a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street in this movie. I mean, yes, the, you know, the death is, is this non-physical entity, which I guess you kind of say Freddy is also mm -hmm. like the deaths kind of happen um, as if there's an entity moving, manipulating things in reality. Um, but not only that, I think just like you said, with Nightmare on Elm Street and the funerals, they do happen. There are funerals in Nightmare on Elm Street, mm -hmm. which I really like, um, because in a lot of slashers, there's just not a lot of time to grieve and to to have funerals and whatever. And, and a lot of the teens or the, quote, groups of victims just kind of move mm -hmm. on and keep going. Like, even in Scream, like, Tatum dies and there's just, like, no time right to deal with it like her brother yeah. just is like back to business and it's just mm -hmm. i mean of course the movie happens very rapidly that's why it's barely a next day but um it just has to happen really quickly like you know dewey still has to keep going so i really like that these movies take the time to stop and have a funeral and not just have a funeral they take time to show the characters grieving mm -hmm. um specifically alex has his you know crying on the couch moments yes um, which I think is really strong. So I just, I don't think that you see that a lot. And mm -hmm. that's something that I think was also kind of carried throughout the series, not, not as well the entire way. And it, but I think that's what I like about part. that scene is you have both parents that are like, they've fallen asleep on the couch mm -hmm. and he's just sitting there and it's just kind of this shared moment where 
you can tell like the parents almost don't want to let Alex out of their sight. So it's like, no, we'll stay here on the couch. And Alex probably doesn't want to leave their site. Like he wants to be comforted by mom and dad at that point. And I think, you know, it would be very easy for him to just be like having that moment in his bedroom and his own television set. But it's a really human thing to want to be comforted by your mom and your dad. And also yeah. as a parent to want to like, I've had to like work with clients who have lost children. Um, and there's, I mean, people say it, that there's like no greater loss than like out surviving than surviving your kid. And I can't fathom what that's like, but you know, to be that parent and be like, Oh my God, we, and he's an only child. So to be like that parent is like, I could have lost my only kid. Um, how hard that would be. And it showcases the change in behavior, which I don't think slashers usually have enough time to show. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, there's always those Twitter prompts that are like, what's a behavior you changed because of a scary movie? You know, do you check the back of your car now because you saw something in a scary movie and things like that? Like I always say, like, I, because of House of Wax, the reboot, I always like sit with my feet up. And when I'm nervous, I like grab the backs of my ankles. And it's just like this weird behavior because of that Achilles scene in mm -hmm. House of Wax. So anyway, but not only that, the characters in these movies don't have a lot of time to change their behaviors. Like, again, I don't know why I'm obsessed with Tatum today. I guess I'm always obsessed with Tatum, but um, Tatum casually walks to get beers from a fridge. Her behavior mm -hmm. hasn't changed at all as a result of this killer slashing up people from her high school. Her behavior hasn't changed because there wasn't much time to in the movie right. didn't really have time for that. Um, but here we're seeing a change in behavior. Alex was going to Paris with his friends. We all know he's probably a teenage boy, uh, high school boy who's like not super, you know, clingy to mom and dad. And now he wants to be near his parents and his parents want to leave him alone. Mm -hmm. That's a specific change in his behavior, which I think is just a really interesting thing that doesn't, doesn't really get showcased a lot. Right. But I guess kind of knowing the script's origins while I don't know exactly what came from where and knowing that it was much more about survivor's guilt potentially um how I'm reading what you guys told me that mm -hmm. kind of makes a lot of sense yeah I don't know but I it really that always strikes me that they're sad and their behavior changes wow. and it's like whoa yeah I think like the original idea came from someone uh maybe Glenn Morgan overhearing uh this woman talk about uh almost surviving like kind of getting a, a bad feeling about something mm -hmm. um her mom uh, had warned her don't get on the plane the next day yeah yeah but i mean i that i think going off of nightmare on elm street i think this movie could have had like such a different trajectory with its sequels mm -hmm. like i mean they could have they could have made death this like i guess sort of comedic element the same as the way freddie did um i i really am kind of surprised though i mean the with clear getting pregnant because of alex i mean they could have took a, taken the supernatural approach to it and had like death impregnate her or something like it could have been a ludicrous series and mm -hmm. it, it has its moments for sure but i think this the third and the fifth are like relatively grounded um yeah and um i think i it's weird because you know uh, wong and them wanted to change it to dark humor you know uh because it was that real suicide ghost frenzy uh script was very bleak but i don't there's not much humor uh in right. this um i it's yeah it's 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 weird it's weird to see dark humor even be mentioned i think yeah. it's like sean william scott character is played a little bit for laughs as kind of like the lovable doofus um yeah 
but even the deaths, like there's nothing that is as dark as like watching your ex-girlfriend that you emotionally tormented puke up her guts before you like jump in front of a train. Like there's nothing like that. Which is like, which is kind of super sixth sense. Like it totally reminds me of the girl being poisoned under the mm-hmm. blanket, just like puking up. Uh, pea soup. Yeah, yeah, pea soup. I, fun fact, I don't remember anything about the sixth sense. I've what? watched it once <laughs> and I watched it after a friend had spoiled the ending for me. Um, and never return to it. I know it's like a brilliant movie, but like I'm more likely to put on Unbreakable. Than- is it though? Like, is it brilliant? Like, I don't I know. So. I think it's really great. I definitely ruined it for everyone that watched it with me, but mm-hmm. not on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, after that like opening scene and then like the first time Bruce Willis shows up, I was like, oh, so he's a ghost. And everyone was like, what? What? And I was like, yeah, because he died in the beginning. And like, I thought it was like, yeah. we knew that he was a ghost. Well, you just <laughs> called time. it. <laughs> That's like the I time mean, I went to Barnes and Noble to pick up my copy of like the Half Blood Prince, and as I mm. had it in my hand, some kid on the floor below like looks up and yells, "Dumbledore dies in this one!" and then runs out of the store. Yo, know, I really love like, that oh kid, and you'll remember him forever, and that's incredible. <laughs> if <laughs> no, you're a listener, like... kid, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am death, and I will find you. Yeah, um, I just like thought we were. So- supposed to know the whole time mm-hmm. like i didn't like obviously i realized after a few minutes that um but you that know it was, it was a suspense it. movie like, like you know i realized like... realize as the movie went on that it was supposed to be hidden but like when he first showed up i was like oh that's kind of cool because like he's a ghost and he doesn't mm-hmm. know <laughs> I, really... I think that's like i mean like like we all uh the saw films so before yeah. Final destination we did all the saw films and now we're doing all the wrong turn movies which wasn't my choice you can blame Trace and Joe for that. I blame Trace um, and Joe and their coercion. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, I think rewatching Saw, like uh, the fact that he, Jigsaw, um, where Tobin Bell is the guy in the middle and he isn't dead, it's you're not focused on that. And a lot of that movie mm-hmm. doesn't care about that. And I think yeah. the reason The Sixth Sense doesn't work on repeat viewings is because it's so obvious Bruce Willis is right. dead. Like mm-hmm. every, every interaction with his wife, every, like, it's just so yeah if you got it spoiled for you and then you watched it it's just going to degrade but you know it's mm-hmm. like taking a screenshot of a screenshot of a screenshot like it's mm-hmm. at some point you're just going to get to this like pixelated block that is bruce willis or donnie Wahlberg in his underwear you know it's, that's the scariest um, thing um as we're in shutter island i feel like the opposite happens but that's a whole other discussion mm-hmm. um yes yes yeah but uh <laughs> i'm like how did we get here what was the Donnie Wahlberg's underwear. Donnie we were Wahlberg's definitely underwear. talking about Donnie Wahlberg in his underwear. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is ironic Wahlberg's. with Marky Wahlberg being the underwear model. But you know, <laughs> late nineties or a crazy time. No, we were talking about um, how this like has a lot of the hallmarks of like slasher movies overall, and how um, I don't yeah. know how it could have gone in a lot different direction, like having a more supernatural. Or more, or more overt bent to it overall, but it didn't go in that direction. Yeah, I again the whole death impregnating her thing. Yeah, like there could have been this element of like this savior child, whether it was like that death impregnated her or that this child never should have been because they both mm-hmm. should have died and he it shouldn't exist, um, and kind of what that means for the balance of the universe mm-hmm. or something. Like they really could have gone there, and they kind of do. 
Um, even without that, they start to change the lore um, a little bit about this like universal balance of life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't go all the way there. So as to, it never paints death as keeping some sort of world order. It's much more about just keeping a death order and that's it. Like right. you're supposed mm-hmm. to die. And so now you're going to die. Um, it never, it doesn't like talk about like, universal balance of you yeah. bought a life and therefore more have to die or any nonsense like that which it really could have done if it if it latched onto the baby thing i think I mean, yeah I, I went to i think uh like a wiki fandom page for final destination because i wanted to break down the timeline because i thought it was so interesting that um death waits like 39 days to start yeah. sort of picking them off and in final destination five it waits two days it's like yeah. um mm-hmm. i think candace gets her back broken doing the gymnastics like two days after the um, bridge incident but yeah no i mean it, but in the wiki fandom page it started it kind of started with abraham lincoln's death like it noted that and i was just like i don't get that but it breaks down everyone's birth from like nora from uh found the station two mm-hmm. and i was trying to connect it but it ended up being this like spider web i didn't want to get tangled with yeah. and uh, i think it's not as complex as as any of that Right. Yeah. And what works about these series is you can pick up any of the movies and just like you, if you start with part three, totally works as a standalone movie. Yeah. Yeah. Then you realize there are like little connections between one to two to three to four to five, and it like enriches what you're doing. But it's not like jumping in. Like imagine trying to jump into like how well, I guess with Halloween you can jump in midway through. Who cares? It's a fun slasher. But like at the Saw movies, I can imagine like starting with part five and being like, what? Like, yeah. what's going on right now? Yeah, these you don't do, want to do that. You don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you definitely can jump into these at any point. They are definitely standalones mm-hmm. with very, like there's varying versions of the lore a bit throughout them. Like things kind of come and go, mm-hmm. um, but it's much more of like how the premonition manifests. It's not a mm-hmm. huge like change of the whole universe. And I think what's, good and i don't know if it's an if it was an exercise in restraint but by not trying to come up with this like universe balance thing aside from the like weird poetic nonsense that tony todd says um they don't go there in a good way because otherwise it wouldn't really make a lot of sense like if it was about like balancing the universe it would end up being a butterfly effect movie um where you'd be worrying about everyone they come in contact with Mm -hmm. and everything that they do and everyone that they might have killed and they go there in part five but they talk about what you kill and what you don't and how that affects things Mm -hmm. that definitely is one of the biggest changes to it Mm -hmm. i think um which i guess you could say changes it all from the beginning I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, if they had gone there, we'd be in a weird situation where it's like, why is death waiting? Um, and so I kind of like that death is just more of this like spiteful entity that just like wants you to die yeah. because <laughs> the plane crash um, weirdly doesn't have an explanation initially, which were like deaths in real life, there's a physical explanation. So when death mm-hmm. seems to hunt these people later, um, and do things that are beyond physical, it seems kind of odd. Um, and that's something you kind of just have to like accept is what the movie is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, at that point, it's kind of like, okay, like death is just killing them because it's time for them to die. It has nothing to do with some sort of like fate or balance of the world because if they went there, then everyone they meet, everyone they talk to, every, you know, every little thing, you'd have this like really nasty web of butterfly effect garbage mm-hmm. that I don't think the movie would be capable of reconciling. Mm-hmm. That, that is a movie i need to revisit though 
butterfly effect. <laughs> yeah, I watched I the trailer like, like a month ago. I watched it on DVD and I like rented with like a group of friends and I missed the last few minutes. And then I know there's like multiple alternate endings and I like, yeah. everyone's like, which one did you see? I'm like, honestly, I think none. Like, I don't know. There's one where like a fetus commits suicide. That's yeah, like, he goes back board. and he like does yeah. it to himself in the womb. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's with, bizarre. Holy All shit, the endings are bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also oh. has a stain song in the trailer, so you know True. you're off to a you know you're in, start. No, you're yeah. like, right. <laughs> it's not going to be good. Yeah. Nothing is ever good. Nothing is good has ever come from saying, like, let's add stained to this mix right yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron um, Lewis. Still <laughs> I, um, you know, you had talked about how, like, the characters have time to sit with their grief. One of the things I really like about this series and this movie is how it really forces the audience to sit with grief and the mm-hmm. audience to co- confront their own feelings and death. Cause like it has all the hallmarks of a typical slasher movie. Like you have this like cast of characters that are like exceedingly gorgeous to look at and they <laughs> pair up and they're hunted down and they're murdered in like ghoulish and disturbing ways. Um, they're whittled down. So you get like a final girl or a small group Um but you don't have like a Michael Myers or a Leatherface or a Jason Voorhees where you're like, oh, instead of focusing on these like 18 year olds whose lives were cut way too short, I can like focus on the dude in the hockey mask with the really neat makeup. When you're watching these movies, like because there's no killer to point to, because like you said, they're hunted down. Um, you basically, and you know, like, you can't defeat death at the end of the day. It's like really the only inevitable thing that we have in life. You might postpone it for a little bit of time, but that's really about it. And I can definitely tell you that as I've gotten older and I'm in my mid forties, I definitely do a lot of fractional math in my head. I'm like, well, average lifespan of a man, you know, and I'm like, what stage am I at? And I, I don't, I spend far too much time doing that. Um, don't do that. I, yeah. I, I went, I, went, I went to go skydiving for my birthday uh, mm-hmm. this past September and I've been twice before and I like scheduled my appointment for like 11.15. I got there. I watched like the same video that like I'd watched the two prior times and I was with like four other people because with COVID restrictions, it's like, you know, you could only put like six people in the biplane and I like, you know, watched the video. They're like, all right, like, you know, 10 minutes, we'll call your names. I like went to the latrine came back everyone was getting suited up and no one called my name i was just standing there kind of waiting and and they all got in the truck to drive down to the airfield and i was just like left behind and so i ended up going up to like the uh the person in the booth being like hey like you know like was i supposed to be with them and they're like oh hold on let me check and they like check the computer and i was like i don't know why you need to check a computer you know like i either am or i'm not going and they're like oh you're on the next one but we don't have enough people to jump so we're suspending jumps indefinitely and i was like okay and i just got the worst feeling and i ended up like asking for a refund and not jumping that year mm-hmm. and it was just like yeah it was just weird i was just like okay this is the first time i've like i just gotta listen to my gut you know that's a like, scary I story like i didn't see myself you know jumping and the shoot not opening i just like it was just a feeling just like yeah. alex told the, the Maybe cops it's after not meant to be yeah yeah. yeah that's a that's a really spooky story and a very mm-hmm. great example of the reality of some, like the less metaphorical approach to this is that just mm-hmm. like that is spooky and i could totally see them being mm-hmm. like oh sorry like your name dropped off the list or something and i'd be yeah. like see ya mm-hmm. never like 
Yeah, like, oh, like the wind blew the page over. I didn't see it. I'm like, okay, yes. that's death. Wind yeah. is the death, you know? <laughs> I'm out of here. I'd be like, thanks for the warning. I'm out of here. That is, ooh, that gave me chills. It's just like... I mean, the funny story is that I didn't get the refund. They were just like, we'll leave the $200 on your account. So when you jump next year and I, I will go next year, maybe I'll jump, maybe I won't. Who knows? Death hmm. might have a different plan for me, but oh my God. yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Up. Like, oh, somehow this got <laughs> deleted. I'd be like, mm-hmm. you know what? You don't have to tell me twice. Like, yeah, I get it. Death. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not today, death. Not today. And that's the interesting thing, though, is that death doesn't really intervene when it comes to the small details about the plane exploding. Mm. It's just like, you know, uh, something about subterfuge or like a wire. And, but like with most other deaths, it's like with Todd being strangled, he, death makes it look like a suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but he doesn't care about, you know, he doesn't pin it on Alex because the entire investigation mm-hmm. is like is alex a bomber you know mm-hmm. and then yeah. yeah it's just weird deaths like kind of design is is interesting within the film and just sort of like analyzing it on our own terms there um, is a real meanness to todd's death that's oh, really yeah, not yeah. in the rest of the movies because i'm just i mean just thinking about like the sight of that water retracting and mm-hmm. then like as a parent already losing one son and then being robbed of your other and then having to think that it's because he couldn't handle the grief and the survivor's guilt. So he took his own life. And there's something so disturbing of, cause you're right. Like death really is just, it's really death is about tying up the loose ends. And I think like in the third movie, a character tries to kill himself in order to kind of break the chain. And like, he can't do it because it's not when he's supposed to die. Um, that's, that's in the fourth one. It's in the fourth yeah, one. Yeah, my bad. That's like I said. It's like, um, such a, like, a, so he tries to hang himself like five yes. times. Mm-hmm. Um, terrible. Um, it's it's really like it's about tying up loose ends. But in Todd's case, there's such a real meanness, and it feels really cruel in the way that like the rest of the movie doesn't feel cruel. You know? It's the eyes popping, like the bloodshot yes. eyes, mm-hmm. um, and there's just like a lot of desperation, I think, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I think, and then Alex going to the morgue and seeing, uh, mm-hmm. Bloodsworth and him being, you know, wondering why he's pulling at the wire if he tried to mm-hmm. kill himself. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of, yeah, it definitely has yeah. a, an effective moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, it's not even the, the meanest death, um, functionally in the movie or practically in the movie, I would say mm-hmm. like the teacher's death is insane she gets her like ass beaten for 20 Mm -hmm. minutes like it absolutely sucks Mm -hmm. but what's interesting about todd's death which again kind of thinking of it as a holdover from the original script kind of reconciles it a bit for me but Mm -hmm. not really um and again part five reconciles that initial lore of like well why are these deaths inexplicable because you know with you escaped a plane crash the original plane crash still crashed for a reason and kind of why Mm -hmm. why did that happen and then death is kind of cleaning up its mess but again that kind of gets reconciled later but Mm -hmm. um todd's death the the covering up of the tracks like death doesn't leave a mess behind necessarily but in none of the other deaths does it try to clean itself up like it's all just like weird physics of like this knife is gonna fall and it's gonna land somewhere bad but (sighs) 
it it still kind of happens that way as where Todd's death is this like and it's the first if I'm not mistaken the first death after the crash and death comes for him like it mm -hmm. sets a stage it fucks him up and then it cleans up its mess and I think it's just like a really really nasty version of this death character in a way that fades away for the rest of the deaths like they're just much more like and I'm gonna make this beer can hit this gear shift and you're gonna drive through whatever and it's just like bizarre and silly but like Todd's is like oh yeah yeah no. you could like you could totally see the water like retracting and like in your head hearing this like diabolical laugh as if death yeah. is like oh, gotcha like death is <laughs> haunting you the rest of them weird stuff just moves around but water almost feels this like personified like the water yeah. is personified into this killer yeah and it's ugh. yeah I, and I say look in a way that it's like very effective. I'm not sure if I love or hate it, to be honest. One of the really neat Blah. things, one of, the really, one of the really neat like production touches of the movie is like in the airport, the stained glass in the airport, the production team like painted up to basically depict how each character was going to die. And there's really not a lot of focus on them like in the movie, but there's like one moment where you clearly see Terry and she's like standing in the foreground and like right over her left shoulder, it's a giant bus painted in the mural. Uh, Miss Luton in her kitchen, she has this giant fucking dagger stained glass mural that is painted in her kitchen cool. like before she dies. So like really little touches like that. And let's talk a little bit about Miss Luton and her death. First, <laughs> before we talk about her death, I had said this off air, like if, she was allowed to live like she was 100% one of those teachers that would be embroiled in a scandal that was like student like caught fucking his high school teacher like he was coming this fall or coming this winter know, to FX starring Kate Mara right, because um. she wasn't who we talked about last week in Bloody Mary like she mm. wasn't the French teacher and she couldn't even speak French like she was going to France on this trip because the age of consent is like 15 so she Dude, was like I'm stretch. <laughs> he was getting herself a hot French He's the high schooler. Yeah, she's Why would you looking go for to baguettes. France? Yeah. Why would you go to France? Greg, I'll let you explain that joke. Why would you go to France <laughs> just to bone a high school student? Like, you're in France. Mm -hmm. Dudes, like, will carry your bags for you because it's nice over there. Like, what right. are you... What's up? Um, there was just something about her, man. There was just something. She was total she was, She's She's got very, like... B actor Carla Gugina vibes. Well, she's mm -hmm. one of the producer's wives. I mean, that's one of the things that mm. comes out. Like, she's married to one of them. It was kind of like, is it um, Jaws? I'm trying to think who the mom is played by Lorraine Gray. Am I getting mm. that name right? Like, she was one of the producer's wives, and Jaws was like, You're putting my wife in this movie. Yeah, but she was like a great character. It was actually really good, though, like, yeah. you know, uh, she gets it rough. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm wondering if that producer is having like mm -hmm. a tip with her. Yeah, yikes. It's, I'm curious, and this is not a fleshed out thought. I'm just going to throw this at you guys. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, teachers in movies are like, I, they're, I, I wonder if it's a gender swap thing. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, I just can't stop thinking about Donnie Darko where there's the inappropriate mm -hmm. <laughs> English teacher. So maybe it's just like teachers in general. I don't know if it's like, we're just like trained mm -hmm. to like, when we see a teacher in a movie, we're immediately like, oh, he's definitely, he or she is definitely, or they um, are definitely boning a student. And uh <laughs> 
and there's something inappropriate going on we're like right too like they're almost like coded that way like rare is it that a teacher turns out to be a yeah. teacher oh no is, is someone who works in the public education system not as a teacher but as a counselor i can tell you that like the teachers i know are not horny for their students 24 oh my god and it is like a movie invention like this is not something this is not something that happens in real life yeah it is like she threatens to beat up one of the krishnas at the airport and she's like <laughs> she's like fuck you yeah she's like doing like the i'm gonna stick my chest out and waddle backwards like (laughs) she was all about it let's talk about her her death let's talk about let's talk about her death and how like alex like implicates himself in her murder in the most clumsy way possible just steps in a lot of mud which again is weird because we don't expect that death is trying to frame him at any Mm -hmm. point um Unless it's for like the convenient right. explanation that death maybe does want to explain these deaths, but I don't mm-hmm. think so. I don't think yeah. he's he. I don't know. Is death a he? Um, I think it's just it's a convenient subplot that allows you to have like um, the two FBI agents. Basically. Yeah, which we talked about, like the cops being effective mm-hmm. and ineffective throughout these movies. But mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it's just to like have some more like tension of like what's going on with Alex. But the death scene of um, this teacher is truly absurd it's super long most of the deaths mm-hmm. there are some like troll deaths where you think someone's gonna die and they don't mm-hmm. um which are fun and like oh no and then they die some other absurd way which happens throughout mm-hmm. the series and is really fun but her death like sneaks up on her for so yes. long I didn't, I didn't exactly time the scene but it is long and it's- she doesn't just like get hit and die she gets like burnt scalded sliced stabbed it's completely absurd and then alex is just like there, accidentally holding a gas can not exactly but basically it it starts with the mug i mean he could have all all he needed to do was like dip his finger into the blood and go like i did it like that's the only it would have made it more point to him like it starts with a coffee mug which it cracks because she throws out the hot water because it has the name of the school on it and then she pours the cold vodka in so it cracks Mm -hmm. that drips and she doesn't notice this cup like dripping water she's so oblivious it's like infuriating it's she deserved it basically she put put john denver on too it's like you you picked a record out and put rocky (laughs) mountain high on right which you you want to die oh my god yeah. yeah It's like, folks, I hope you like John Denver, which why wouldn't you? But you're going to get a lot of him in this movie. I don't know uh, if I'm a John Denver fan. What's that? I don't know if I'm a John Denver fan. How can you not? I'm getting, I'm getting cocked heads. So I guess no, I'm in that wasn't a, that was that was me th- my, me reflecting on my own John okay. Denver fandom. Like, I don't know. If you ask me, like, are you a fan? I'd be like, no. But I, just not, mean, I don't like him. Like, I'm not saying that you would have, like, rushed out to like buy tickets to his concert but he's mm-hmm. some great song now if he had a concert but i'm not like oh turn it off yeah. yeah i think as a kid i would have been like turn it off but like as mm-hmm. i've gotten older i'm like he's kind of a badass you know like yeah. i kind of like i don't know i listen to harry nielsen drunk yeah mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever listened to harry nielsen oh shit so no, i'm should. just gonna jot, <laughs> down. Yeah, jot that down i'm honestly jotting down things to do try out harry nielsen i like pounds van sant someone i feel like okay, we were yeah. talking punk off air and i feel like every punk i know just wants to be towns van sant when they hit 40 is like that's pretty much what all <laughs> that's of the was. goal that's the goal, I, I got goal turn years. 40 and um yeah. that's really all the singer they become like you know uh, like, 
Chuck Reagan, Tim, uh, Tim Barry, like they all eventually want to become like Towns Van Sant. Anyway, going off the rails a bit. So yeah, you're right. She gets like the computer monitor. I've never seen a monitor explode like that from like just water dripping in it, like slices her throat open. And then the thing, like, you know, it's coming with like the, I'm going to like get this like wet rag uh, and tip knives over my chest and then explosions after that. And Alex like steps in her blood as a perfect shoe print, holds the knife, like just picks it up and holds up it the knife. for like 10 seconds and stares <laughs> at it just so like to make it obvious. And then as he leaves, like there's Billy on his bike. I love it. Billy is just always kind of around in the background during this movie. Like he just kind of shows yeah. up. Like, he's very clearly not part of the friend group, but he's just like there. <laughs> Wait, um, he, I'm misremembering or I'm not remembering. Alex steals the knife, doesn't he? Uh, he No, he drops it. Oh, he drops it? He does drop Maybe it. Maybe we were saying he should have stolen the knife. We were he, having this moment right. of like, you could just take that knife and run, dude. Right. So, but even the cops say like, look, we don't, like they like we don't think you blew up the plane like they're very clearly like there's no way this dude blew up the plane like he's a 17 year old that doesn't even know how to hide his penthouse magazines from his parents like <laughs> clearly not a genius yeah. um and another like we said it's not a lot of humor in this movie but what i found really funny is he looks at the picture of clear in the article about the memorial looks at her and then it's like and then takes out penthouse like you know where that's going you're like oh i thought that was like wicked funny um photos in the the use of photographs in mm -hmm. this in these movies and this movie is mm -hmm. just pretty wonderful unreal there's so much like we we're laughing um alex has his moment where he starts to discover the patterns and he's got this kind of sheet mm -hmm that he uses to map out um the seating chart and how things happen and then it was the seat switch that kind of changes things for him but mm -hmm. like was the news putting up like a seating chart that he yes. like took a screenshot of yeah and, and then uploaded into his computer <laughs> yep. yeah. and it's like perfectly okay. like how they figured out like oh right above these seats is where things were let's you know um it's it's pretty hysterical um, my favorite my favorite with Luton is like, I think she like looks out the window. She's like on the phone talking to somebody. She's like, she's moving because she just can't deal. And she's like, even looking out my like window, um, all I see is fear. And she like pulls the curtain back and like Alex is creeping by a, a tree. And you're just like, yeah, yeah. that's fear. Can't, you, know, you can totally see why he's a suspect because like, oh my God, these movies are you know, like oh, in the shadows at all seems times. to be a lot of dead kids around while you're hiding behind trees, you know, <laughs> totally bring that dude in for questions. Um, <laughs> it's insane. But again, it kind of tracks like it. He's trying to outrun death mm -hmm. and in doing so just continues to implicate mm -hmm. himself. And um, I love how the teacher is like, get away from me, you freak. Like, not that, like, oh, my God, you saved my life, but, like, get away from me, demon boy freak. I want well, nothing you wouldn't, to do. You wouldn't think he, well, I don't know. I I think that I would probably think that he saved my life, but mm -hmm. there's definitely a rational version of yourself that doesn't think that movies are real 
and you know maybe you practice some witchcraft like me but still actually believe in the rational world i'm joking those two things are not mutually exclusive mm-hmm. but i feel like <laughs> i feel like uh i don't know in that moment if i would really credit this guy with saving my life or be like seriously mm-hmm. get away from me you freak like mm-hmm. i don't know in reality if i'd be sitting with him being like what else do you see man let's work on this mm-hmm. um or if i would be like seriously get lost you're I'm scared well, of you. That's I don't what know. Billy is like. Billy is like, hey, Alex, I just got my license and. Yes, he said, I don't want to live. I don't have long to live. Like, is that true? Like, I love that about Billy. Billy is yeah. like, I would be taking Alex to like the casino and being like, what am I putting all the chips down on, man? Like, yeah. let's let's ride this thing out a little bit. Let's yeah, let it Bill, all run around. Billy just wants to know whether or not I think like Cynthia is going to get with them or something and <laughs> yeah. this is like, like yeah petty petty high school shit but i, I do it. kind of like that the like i don't know necessarily jock but the like burly not even burly i don't know the like typical dude character is the one First who's kind of like mm-hmm. tell me more about my future it is kind of weird yeah. because it almost comes from a place of he's dumb enough to believe it which is kind yeah. of strange well, th- but i do mm-hmm. kind of like it because it's usually um and maybe based in reality but it's usually the like gothy woman character who's like mm-hmm. i believe you so i kind of right. like seeing the like dopey dude be like dude am i gonna die tell mm-hmm. me what's going on i don't know i, kinda I like that. and plus i love sean william scott is yeah actor. he's just a lot because of, he mean, is the burly jock right I don't know why and this I is like there. a year after like he really <laughs> he definitely ex- is yeah it's like one year after american pie which mm-hmm. i mean those movies don't really hold up oh oof. you know coming uh, soon I think to it's... my promising young woman rants um yeah. um they um yeah those movies do not hold up but like he is kind of like a delightful force of nature to like watch in those like he just is all in and he's great in the goon movies i mean like mm, so oh my god to see him in between like american pie one and two is this kind of like super goofy character and i think it was originally written for someone that would look more like jonah hill in 2004 like picture mm-hmm. jonah hill's character in super bad like that was really what originally was going to be but yeah. when william scott was cast they kind of like made him a little bit less nerdy which is interesting because i think in the beginning todd's sort of hoisted up as this like comedic sort of mm-hmm. foil like he's sort of the goof he's making he's cracking all the jokes and then i feel like the movie sort of rewrites horror history because mm-hmm. well not because usually you have like your shelley's and um your francis from tcm like sort of lasting until the third act or at least like mm-hmm. halfway through and this movie is kind of like you know we're gonna go so dark humor that we don't even need this character like we don't need mm-hmm. comedy we're gonna fucking kill him off in mm-hmm. a really just grim way mm-hmm. well yeah this movie does have what might be my favorite death in any horror movie. It's definitely in my top five, like Terry giving this amazing soliloquy, like pushing her boyfriend around being like, you two cut the macho bullshit out, get over it. Like, you know, this is really dumb. And if you don't like it, you can fucking drop dead. And then like a quarter of a second later, getting, I remember watching that and being like, what the fuck? It was like that moment in hereditary where charlie's head hits the Mm. you're like wait did i just see that like that has to be like a dream sequence like that was great that's where it really sucked me in like what an awesome sequence that is yeah yeah, go ahead uh i was gonna say that the i think billy's death is what really gets me because it's like built up over this uh 
train track like mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of tension built up with that and i think the practical effect of his head just being severed off by the sheet metal is mm-hmm. yeah i think it's like one of the best kills of the entire series mm-hmm. yeah he's like yelling and screaming like you're not gonna get and what's great like watching it this time i never noticed that like Kurt smith's character carter kissed his pants during that scene so like rewatching <laughs> yeah. it again i'm like that dude is covered in urine like, i love that i love that it's such a great little detail it's so good because that scene so like in contrast to the teacher scene right like um that's kind of what i was trying to get at with like the troll deaths versus the like crazy ones the teacher mm-hmm. scene i keep calling her the teacher if she has a name but miss luton the, <laughs> yeah miss luton's uh they kill teach. is just like her getting beaten up and killed by you know a thousand cuts or whatever it's Mm -hmm. called like she really gets killed as where this one is so tense for so Mm -hmm. long and then the death is not what you expect it to be like they're they're in a car which everyone in the series keeps getting into cars to Mm -hmm. escape death and like cars are very dangerous and like it would be so easy for death to just like cut your brake line so like i don't know why they all keep getting into cars as if that's like they're Mm -hmm. on the way to safety i don't know it stresses me out but Maybe it's because I was in a motor vehicle accident lawyer for five years and read a lot mm-hmm. of accident reports, but cars are scary. <laughs> and so- um, My sister got in two bad car accidents when she was really young. She will not drive on the highway to this day. Like she'll get in a car as a passenger, but she will not drive herself on a highway. To I'm not obsessed day. with it. I trust other drivers yeah. more than myself, which is probably yeah. not smart, but- uh, well, Meanwhile, these kids get in a plane six months later. They get in a, mm-hmm. not, oh my God, they get on a plane six months later, but they also just keep getting into vehicles. And so mm-hmm. every time they're in a car, and maybe that's my own sentiments, but every time they're in a car, I'm stressed. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, it would be like, it's raining and it's dark and you're driving fast. Like this mm-hmm. would be the quickest death scene. And they think like, oh no, cause they're not together. But like the plane crash, they're all together. It just came in order. So right. it's exactly the same thing, but that's a whole other um, piece. But so they're in this car, which is already stressful, at least in my opinion. And then they get to this train track, which, you know, as kids, I remember um, on the bus, uh, to, if you ever took like a school bus to class or to camp or something like that, they always had those like drills of like what to do when we get to a train track oh, and yeah. how to like evacuate. So that was already something I was aware was scary. I remember like the bus driver always opened the door before we got to the train tracks. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we always had to train for it. So that was already something scary. And they get to this train track and this horrible near-death experience happens dude pisses his pants which is so great because it's like i don't care how many sit-ups you can do mm-hmm. you're scared of that like oh, i don't yeah. more care tough how guys t- in horror need to piss their pants yeah. yes yeah it's so not good even in it's horror like, just in you general no <laughs> normalized peeing your normalized. pants in 20 you're not cool unless you pee your pants yeah. and no like it doesn't matter how many times you hit the gym and like how tough and macho you are like a mm-hmm. train almost hitting you is terrifying he pisses mm-hmm. his pants and then still they're all still alive and you're like mm-hmm. how is no one dying and this whole speech happens and you know something's gonna happen but it's still like oh my god yeah. and it's a great severed head sequence it really great. is like and this is right at the cusp of like when in a couple years they would have done like the bus scene and the severed head scene digital and like mm. this was i think like the actress who played um terry says like she the the, the cost of the bust they made for her like the whole life cast mm. it took like eight hours to do and she's like 
it costs more than I made in this movie. Like, well, apparently they made a bunch of uh, molds of every cast member, I think, mm-hmm. um, before they sort of revised a lot of the script. But yeah, I think her name was uh, what, like Amanda Detmer. Yes. Because yeah. in that in the Consequence incredible. piece, She's there's like a bunch awesome of cool like photos that she posted mm-hmm. um, of like behind the scenes, like her and Devin mm-hmm. Sawa. And I don't know, but the thing that I like, not to go off on like a tangent, but I think oh, wow. the thing I love about these movies, and I think that what works between one and three is that like as a teen you know especially the older we get you know like we used to think we were like invisible yes invisible i mean and you know like nothing could hurt us and i think the reason that it works best um with these kids is because yeah like uh right now it's raining out it's very dark and i'm only 34 but i'm still like eh, i'm not gonna drive to the store or like you know mm. I, like like it's snowing out i i think I, I won't go anywhere today versus you know kids there's like fuck it I'll, like i'll do anything mm-hmm. yeah. no oh but, for sure yeah. which maybe speaks to the car piece that i find so scary but maybe like as a teen i wouldn't have which kind of explains that like they keep getting into cars because oh my god as kids i mean i had a driver's license but, like i couldn't drive when i was 16 mm-hmm. and <laughs> drove my friends to starbucks at lunch which probably was like stupid and hazardous but it's an interesting point and, and what's you great survived. is it- it really works it. with the character of Carter because throughout the whole movie, Carter is like, he's the one that is so freaked out by Alex, um, you know, getting them off the plane because he's like, it feels like he's lost that control. Like you said, like that feeling of invincibility when you're young and thinking like, you're never going to die. Like he literally says, I'm never going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm in control of my own destiny. Like that's really his arc is like, him kind of coming to terms with the fact that like he you know at some point is going to die and who knows when um it is so i really like that about about that sequence and i do like too that it's not all four of them that are trapped in there like i think a lesser movie all four of them would be trapped in the car and you're like you know there's we're an hour and 10 minutes into this movie like they're not going to kill the last four characters right now so you know, the fact that like three of them can get out of the vehicle and it becomes Carter who's trapped. You're like, oh, he could go right now. Um, But then when he doesn't, you're like, oh, moment of relief until there's no more relief again. So, and it's like, you know, someone's going to die in that scene. You just don't Mm -hmm. know who or how it's like, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I'm picturing a Simpsons example. That's just not clicking for me right now, but like, (laughs) Just like the gasp and then the letting the air, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, <gasps> like over and over again, but you still know something's going to mm-hmm. happen. The tension never dissipates, like just because they get out of the car or something like the tension does not dissipate. And yeah. even after that death, you're still just like, oh, something mm-hmm. else might happen. And then two of the characters go and bone down. But um, <laughs> the tension <laughs> doesn't like, you know, a death is coming. You don't know which one. And as much as that, like seat order switch is kind of you know, okay, I think I think that's what's so cool is that at that point, you're kind of like, oh, I actually don't know exactly how this movie is going to play out. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you think you I, do. I think, the, I think the, the train track scenes resonates with me because growing up with uh, Stand By Me, mm-hmm. just like the, like, because Kara Smith's character has a lot of like uh, Corey Feldman sort mm-hmm. of vibes from yeah. Stand By Me where like he wants to stare death down, it, like death and like, you know, uh, it sort of forms itself as this train and yeah, no, I think it's just like, uh, this kind of powerful. Um, but yeah, I love the twist of it not being Carter. And it's just like, okay, well, we have Billy who is 
just standing there yelling how he's not going to be the next one. And mm-hmm. well, you sort of, you know, write your own line. You're the pooch on that one, buddy. <laughs> um, and again, it's a great severed head sequence too, where it just comes like rolling through and how horrific they just like tear ass out of there at that. Like, all, all three remaining characters just go like tearing ass out of there. And I know that like one of the complaints about, this movie you hear now and again is how it loses momentum in that middle section, but I don't see it. Like, I think this movie yeah, no. kind of so. really zips along. Um, I do like how like Ollie Lauder's character as the movie continues, like clear gets less more like Ali Sheedy in the breakfast club at the beginning and more like, no, I'm Ali Lauder, you know, yeah. like, by the last scene, like she just looks stunning. If they're like, we're not even we're not even going to try to dirty her up anymore because no, that is some like two thousands ass bullshit. You take mm-hmm. like that was ugh, Allie Larder was the morph of the like late nineties, early two thousands. What you had to look like, <laughs> mm-hmm. where like you had to be able to wear low rise pants that your long shirt mm-hmm. just like gets to your belly button. Like she was just built for that. And the movie weirdly tries to make her the like stoic. Again, I keep saying the like goth girlfriend, even though she's not goth, still just like that character and much like yeah. the Ali Sheedy character. She's like a um, welder. I mean, she's like this like Yeah, bio- she's like she's the cool badass. girl with brown hair, which is mm-hmm. so bizarre. And uh but like they and don't she even reads while walking, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. woo, she is like full <laughs> bell. Um <laughs> Yeah, like, no, she looks great the whole time. Not that, like, she would, wouldn't look great if she didn't look like that. I just mean that, like, she's very much that morph. Mm-hmm. And they don't bury it under anything other than brown hair, which I, anyway, until the last scene, which uh, maybe was an accidental piece of character development. But mm-hmm. she's what, what, even for, in, the, for the ending. Even in the sequel, though, she's, like, in the uh, psych ward. And, like, they're supposed to have to be, like, you know, greasy hair. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You know she's Still It's working. Like a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's very lovely. She's a psych babe. <laughs> so she's blonde in the final scene, which I really mm-hmm. want to talk about. Okay, um, let's talk about it. I can't wait. I'm, wait, do you I'm want so to talk about this... that she's blonde, or do you want to talk about the? Both. Final I want to talk about both. Okay. I'm going to use let's that as a segue. Check this I out. want to do. I want to talk about Tony Todd. But let's talk about the final. Oh, scene. do you want to talk? No, I've, you know what? I ruined your segue. I feel like wow. I ruined your segue. I, feel I had like, like such I've a slick move teed up here. And, you know, if I had more than 24 hours to edit this, I would, like, do your segue now, but... Right. I can't stop looking at your cat in the litter box behind you. It's a bunny. It's not my bunny. That's a rabbit. My bunny is is litter box trained. Oh, he's been in there for, like, five minutes. Yeah, she just eats her newspaper. I took away away her little cardboard (laughs) castle we made for her because she was chewing on it, and I'm like, eh, we're going to pick that up on the mic. So she's like, well, screw it. I'm going to... And if she's angry... She won't use her little box. Like she will be like, you know what? I'm pooping everywhere right now. Yeah, that's so that's my cat. Yeah. Angry poops. Yeah. My cat's like, oh, you're not up at five thirty to feed me. Well, here's mm-hmm. a dookie on the ground. There you go. Yep. And it's ours, like, okay, cool. Ours does that in the tub. Our, our cat, he will shit in the tub if he's like doesn't get fed. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I was picturing a way different version of what you said for a second, where I was like. <laughs> You thought my wife said in the tub. I was picturing it as like a part of its routine. Like in the morning, has a bath, gets in the tub. <laughs> Shits <laughs> everywhere. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, why is your cat taking baths? I I'm didn't... tub trained. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like it made sense. Oh, <laughs> I mean, this is definitely it's like, oh, I can't episode. talk right now. I'm in the this tub. Is... That like colloquial version of it. Wait, you guys don't in... shit in the tub? Not usually. Um... <laughs> 
Not <laughs> usually. Like, I just want to lament that my incredible segue was thwarted for a discussion about animals shitting in the tub. I just want to throw that in Sorry. there. Well, he's um, very please, cute. Please, yeah, oh, very cute. So the finale. Let's talk finale. No, please regale us with your Bloodworth piece. I don't have. I know. I was just going to throw out, and I ruined your segue just to throw out to you both saying like, what do we think of like Tony Todd in this movie and his role overall? Because it's like a glorified cameo. And then mm-hmm. he just like appears in every movie as this character that's not really pulling the strings, but seems to know a lot more than he's letting on. Yeah, I think people, I mean, there's like, a, like the theory that he's the embodiment of death. And I think one of the producers and one of the sequels uh, discredited that. And I think in the second or the third one, you like, you could see him wearing evan's watch or someone's watch that he mm-hmm. you know was taking care of but i, I kind of view tony todd as this like huge fanboy of death mm-hmm. you know and he just like i don't know he like stands it he works in a morgue that he created you know i think it's like the bloodworth uh morgue or funeral home or something like that and i don't know good for him for starting mm-hmm. his own business yeah, small business owner <laughs> bloodworth i <laughs> i also have that read i do kind of buy the theory that he might be death but i also think he's in a lot of ways that character that um main characters come across that kind of ground the fantasy elements of it like they kind of are a little bit loopy and weird compared to the rational version the characters are grabbing onto but there's this convenient character that explains a bit of what's going on and they're a little bit spooky so i kind of prefer the read that he's just connected to it and spooky about it um, and maybe he's ageless and maybe he's some kind of like associated demon. Like if death is the devil, maybe this, this is a sidekick, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know, but I kind of like both reads of it. I just also like that we don't really know. And the movie never like forces us to like sit down and hear about the creation of Bloodworth. No. I mean, he definitely ages backwards. Cause if you watch the fifth one, which is a prequel, he's, you know, what, 15 years older. whatever that movie came out and so yeah no he does benjamin buttons the whole movie he doesn't look that much different now than he did with candy man like he is a remarkably well and i can Mm -hmm. it was like this is probably about 10 years ago i remember going to the new york city horror film fest and tony todd was there and i don't even think he was like a guest of honor i think he was just like there and standing outside getting some air and just ended up standing next to tony todd who is a remarkable specimen of a human being. Like he, is, he is number one, gigantic. Like he, if wasn't acting, he would be like just a guy that had a job getting things off very high shelves. He, he should like you know? guest star like wrestling. He could, oh my, he probably still could. And he was just awesome. Like, but he just has this like amazing physical presence. Like, you know, if you, if I met Robert Englund, I probably would be like, oh, it's Robert Englund, really cool. Tony Todd is like intimidating in terms of his stature and size, but also really sweet and nice. Did you get to, okay, so I feel like you answered that question. Did you get to hear him speak? Yes. What was that like? Cause his voice to me is so, obviously there's a a version of it that he probably puts on and exaggerates for Candyman, but like- He actually sounds exactly like Mike Tyson. It's really weird. No, he doesn't. He, that's his, (laughs) that's his baritone. Like he has that. What? I believed you. I was like, what? So did I. Oh, yeah. Um, he yeah, that is his baritone. Like he has that Whoa. deep voice. And he was just like super nice, you know. And that's 
Voices um, in real life to me trip me out more than like mm-hmm. physical stature for sure. I'm like thinking of a million anecdotes mm-hmm. and one of mine was um, I walked, um, Bill Skarsgård is walking towards mm-hmm. me on a very crowded street one time and he's his pre- he's very scary and spooky, mm-hmm. like just like walking around and everyone just kind of like split, but like not intentionally. No one knew who he was. He looks very mm-hmm. normal. He's like wearing normal clothes and everyone just kind of like split around him mm-hmm. when he was walking. But um, I'm just like thinking of, Tony Todd's voice. I was actually in an airport once, weird connection, and Keith mm-hmm. David, which is not Tony Todd, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, was in front of me ordering like a sandwich at the shop at the airport to like get a snack. Mm-hmm. And he just started speaking in that like Keith David voice. Right. And my whole body was like, holy cow. Like, I didn't have to know who he was in that moment. I didn't have to like have heard or seen him anywhere. It was just like a voice made my whole body react. And I'm yes. just like curious if that was kind of a Tony Todd. It is like that. I once bumped into the rock. This was like in 1998. It was after. How do you not see him coming like a hundred miles it was, away? Yeah, well, go on. It was coming out of the bathroom. It was 1998 coming out of the bed. Ba- he was coming out. I was going in to the bathroom after a Monday night raw at this little restaurant in Lowell. Um, and, and as I walk, I'm like, Oh my God, it's the people's champ. And he like stopped and he gave me the eyebrow and then he continued on to his table. And we were like, <laughs> We were like two tables over. Now this was peak wrestling fandom for me. Like I literally owned 14 Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirts. I'm like, I am, wearing, I am wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt for every day of the week for two weeks. Like that was my wardrobe. Um, so maybe there were like two tables over. And we we're like, do we bother? Like, we're not going to bother them. And like, cause other people would go up and they're like, Hey, you know, like we'll take pictures after, but we just kind of want to have our meal. It was mm-hmm. him and a couple other wrestlers like Jerry Lawler's kid, Mark Henry. Um, and then triple H like used to live in Nashua when I did, and I would bump into him all the time in Barnes and Noble. And he was like <laughs> the nicest guy. He was I, I'd be like, hey, just want to like say hello and like I really love wrestling and it's super entertaining. Thank you. He's like, oh man, that's cool. Thanks. You know, uh, it makes it worth it. And he was like the nicest dude. The um, eyebrow thing gets me because I yeah. love when um he was just did it. Like it was just say even... celebrities in yeah. general, like they know exactly what you want from them. Yes. And I think like the eyebrow is something that like he can do it really quickly and you oh, have yeah. that story for the rest of your for life. The like, rest of my life. I somewhat related and i just kind of shared this anecdote with trace and joe because i did their um batman mask of the phantasm episode mm-hmm. of horror queers but kevin conroy was at a con that i was at the voice mm. of batman who i told another story I'll, you'll listen to uh, that podcast and hear um the story of his voice but hey, man, you I can't be saving the good stuff for other sorry. shows sorry it's not that exciting yeah. it was just like How anyway dare you lens but i <laughs> I went to see him at this con and I had some like special pass. I could go early. And on the Sundays it was pretty quiet. So I just like went in early by myself to do a couple things before the con opened. And then just like walk, went to Kevin Conroy's booth. Cause he was already there mm-hmm. and he's like super sunshiny and signing my thing. And my, like, I, Oh my God, Batman, like right there in front mm-hmm. of me. So I'm like tap dancing, you know what I mean? Like trying to keep it cool. And he's just like chatting. How's things? How's the day? How's the con? Any mm-hmm. good restaurants in Toronto? Like whatever. And then he just looks up at me and could see that I was bursting and just puts on the voice and went, I am Batman. And I was like, yeah, that was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And it's like the people's eyebrow. Like he knew exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was cool to have a conversation with Kevin Conroy about like restaurants in Toronto, but mm-hmm. I wanted him to say, I am Batman to me. And he did. And that's mm-hmm. all I wanted. <laughs> Last one I've got Michael Rooker. It was <laughs> like, it was when Henry portrait of a serial killer was getting like a, um, oh, no. 
special edition uh, DVD release. And when okay. Slither was coming out, was doing a Fangoria convention. And he was walking around the convention, like high-fiving people. Hey, how are you doing? What a great day. Like in a Hawaiian shirt, like super nice. He That's goes to real. his booth where like people are working to like sell the DVD. He's like, thank you so much for doing this. Like, do you guys want food, water? Like, can I go get you stuff? Like the nicest dude and i'm like but you're henry like you no, want to ew. i want you to murder me and put me in a suitcase no like, what ew stay away from me if there was wow. anything like we got mike's kink yeah that is specific. no kink shaming specific. very specific yes well, uh, I say, yeah Can we i held the door back? for adam sandler once you did you held the yeah, door for him well, I was an usher at AMC over in uh, Boston, and I held the door for Adam Sandler. He said, thanks, dude. And then I held the door for Tom Brady, and he was mm-hmm. a lot taller than I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then before that, you know, I don't really have – because I'm not I'm not that person who, like, will go up to celebrities. I, like, mm-hmm. like let them just do their thing yeah. and exist. And, like, I don't – I go to cons, but I don't do the whole signature mm-hmm. photo op thing. Uh, but I was at Beauty and the Beast on Broadway in like 94, 95. And oh, yeah, I saw Fre- that. Freddie Prince yeah. Jr. was there. Uh, who was there? Sorry. Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, no shit. So I like, yeah, we like, it was like intermission and we we're like by the bathrooms. And I was like maybe standing like two feet from him. But yeah, no, that's a really boring story. That's the boring go. story I got. I know. I feel like I could throw, you know, all those like closing canter anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, certainly. I just I'm thinking of like a Tony Todd's voice and again like it just I was so curious because that Keith David moment was so insane and what's funny is that it was like around the time of the cape which like is not Keith David's best work in any sense but that was like when people started talking about his voice so much again mm-hmm. so I just remember him do being you remember like, what uh, like pepperoni do you remember what cheese. sandwich he ordered I, I, it was something like so like banal I don't even it's <laughs> I like, wish I could remember I just like, butter and jelly, just, like, no big, and he was wearing like a long black coat too, which was just so funny because I was like, is this guy in character all the time? And I didn't really notice him. And then he just ordered his sandwich and I was like, no shit. <laughs> Did you order like, the guy. same sandwich? And you're like, we're sandwich buddies. Oh my gosh. I'll I have really should have like, done more mm-hmm. with the moment, but I just, I lived it, you know? I just lived yep. hearing his voice, just like let it happen. But, yeah. <laughs> But yes, Tony Todd's voice makes him, he's so commanding, mm-hmm. um, which works so well in Candyman because he doesn't even have to do very much in Candyman except show up and talk. Yeah. And it's so great. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, you know, he's already Candyman by this point. And he's already this kind of supernatural death in- entity. So then for him to show up and kind of be this like connected to death character in the Final Destination series. And he's a threat. I don't think he's in every single movie. I no. think he is, isn't he? I thought he was in all five. He skips one. He's on in four. Four is yeah. just so so terrible that he's he was probably like, said no. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> and he's this like really great thread that mm-hmm. ties it. And I like I love him. I love that it's so cheesy, but it works so well that it's almost like he's in a crematorium, right? Like he's not mm-hmm. just like standing by bodies. It's not blue toned, it's red toned, you know? Like he's mm-hmm. not usually the morgue is blue toned, it's icy, it's cold. Um, but no, not him. Mm-hmm. He's like taking you to the depths of hell, which I think is And there's something that's so chilling about him looking at Alex, like who's standing over the corpse of his dead best friend. And like Tony Todd's like closing line is like, I'll see you soon. Oh yeah. Like, Which that's you're like me. Second one, he's like working on the guy who with the nipple rings, and he like while he's talking to them, he like rips the nipple ring out. And you're just like, oh fuck. 
Yeah. Oh. Like, no. Like nipple so, mutilation. And it's a cool twist on that trope character of like, there's always that morgue. Um, I'm going to post, I'll reply to the tweet when we post this episode of a really mm-hmm. funny comedian who does like bits of like um, his like little character work on the internet is um, horror movie cliches. And he does mm-hmm. the like disgusting guy in the morgue who's always like eating a sandwich. <laughs> yes. Putting it like we have like, I think it's a, is it in, um, the final chapter like literally puts it oh, on yeah. the corpse on, yeah on the body. yeah and that character is in like so like you of course you go to the jason Voorhees one but it's like not the only one it's in like everything mm-hmm. and i also really think tony todd's a good twist on that character because mm-hmm. he's not disgusting and casual he's nope. like morbid and scary yes. but he's 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 not like usually the guys in the morgue in those types of movies are um death is casual to them it's like mm-hmm. no big deal so they're just still you know watching porn and eating sandwiches mm-hmm. um but at work? this yeah yes. i guess because death is so casual they can just watch porn at work and versus like tony todd's version of that character whether it's because he's death or not again he's red he's not blue and he's um he's still spooky in a completely different way he's not mm-hmm. like the spooky like ooh, i don't know i don't know he's, just, know. You know he's just unnerving he's like very yeah. unnerving to watch not because like he treats death cat because there's almost a reverence for it yeah, yeah. Yes, that's what I wasn't nailing down. Yeah, the reverence. Yeah, I, mean, that, I, think, I think that's why I like Autopsy of Jane Doe is that it, the, well, no one's eating a sandwich, you know. Mm-hmm. I think like you get to see the inner workings of a mortician, sort of you know, the behind the scenes, and mm-hmm. you know, I think it's I think it's well done. But yeah, it's just like finally you get to see a mortician not you know jerking off eating sandwiches. Yeah, which is like so, what a nasty way to drive it home. Specifically because no one's eating a sandwich. Like, Yeah, I'm so anti-sandwich. That's what makes it real. Keith David pro sandwich, Greg Mucci anti-sandwich. Yeah, I'm a roll-up guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about the wraps. Um, (laughs) Shawarma, bitch. (laughs) All right, finale. Finale, oh my God, I forgot already. Oh, great. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. Well, so the finale of this movie, I think, is one of the... And there are so many good horror endings, and I'm not about to pretend this is the best one, because uh, there are so, so, so many great horror endings. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the greater horror endings, um, and it was a change. The initial ending, like we said, was that she has this baby, and there's this, like... It's maudlin, but it's also very sunny, the, like, you know... Mm-hmm she go it's sunshiny and she's gazing into the future and it's bizarre yeah. um they have a leaf ending, that falls down it's, and it's supposed to mirror like a leaf falling down earlier in the movie yeah it's oh god it's bad and they made a an incredible decision to uh make it much scarier the kids go to paris mm-hmm. they end up going and death isn't done with them and one of them gets smoked by a sign in the middle of the yep. street and that that's it that's the end and it's so good like that was a moment in the theater where everyone gasped it's a scream it's amazing and it honestly i think makes the movie a completely different movie that it's like death isn't done with you you can't cheat it and -hmm. it's coming for you and you think that you're healed and all good and guess what surprise bitch Uh you're gonna die and it's gonna be surprising (laughs) and it's gonna be scary and it's so so good and the blonde hair thing is kind of incidental because they'd moved so far past it Mm -hmm. that Ali Larder was working on other things and she had blonde hair now and it went to do uh, reshoots and while I can't guess I'm sure they were like a wig's gonna be a terrible idea for Mm -hmm. a reshoot which I wish movies would learn um 
And so they were just like, yeah, well, I guess you have blonde hair now. It's in the future. Yep. And it's funny because it, in a weird way, ends up being a character choice as she kind of morphs from Ali Shu to Ali Larder yep. and uh, becomes the blonde version of herself. It definitely, Oops. I think it works. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, um, like in a way, like just before dawn, where you have this like final girl who is, you know, camping and she's very much sort of intimidated and she's like a shadow to her boyfriend and then by the end she transforms this like she's wearing booty shorts and she's a lot more embracing of her sexuality mm-hmm. and then in this it's like she's i don't know she's transformed into this like blonde it's like almost like going super saiyan you know for ali larder and i think the ending here works better than say in a movie does something similar like dawn of the dead the, re- the Zack snyder remake where you spend two hours with these characters trying to escape this horrible situation and then you watch like the post credits and they like land on this island and they're immediately overrun by zombies mm-hmm. and i'm like i kind of hate that ending i'm like oh like yeah, why yeah, did I, I hate it right i'm like Run why did i just bleak. yeah like why did i watch these people struggle for two hours when like they're just overrun like seconds of, upon like leaving where this like works because it keeps like the character and the tone of the rest of the movie uh, so it still has that playfulness. I mean, you get like John Denver in French. You have like the busker playing like, you know, um, and that's like, a, and they notice like, that's a really neat little thing right there. You know, um, maybe I'd like John Denver more if he was in French. What's that? Maybe, maybe I'd like John Denver more if he was in French. You know? I gotta say, man, like John Denver, like, and I think he like did a lot of like uh, environmental work. Like he actually appeared before Congress talking about environmental issues. Um, but this is also, John Denver like, band cast. But also, like John Denver's, like <laughs> fuck it, I'm gonna get drunk and fly a plane. Like that is, just, you know. Well, I'm, now I'm gonna make the mental note: John mm-hmm. Denver discography. I, I, you know, I, you know, he does albums with the Muppets. Um, it's okay. So, like, Lindsay's gonna take a quick break right now to her package. The dog is wandering. Second package in two so hours. I will. Um, I will segue here to say that like last night I did like a back to back of the two greatest Christmas movies of all time. It's a wonderful life and a Muppet Christmas Carol. And I am not unconvinced that Michael Caine was not like high on shrooms the whole time he was filming the Muppet Christmas Carol and just like interacting with these puppets for two hours. I firmly believe like there must've been times where he was like, you got to cut, man. I'm freaking out here. All these <laughs> yeah, all live. Man. You know? yeah, yeah, there's a man with his hand up this Kermit's, you know, ass. ass I can't take it. Know? I can't do this anymore, man. I'm freaking out. So, um. Um, yeah, I mean, I Muppet Family Christmas is also really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Muppet Christmas Carol is incredible. Um, not my favorite Muppets. That's a goes to Takes Manhattan. You, really the muppets take manhattan is your favorite yeah yeah least favorite at least friday the 13th but favorite same. muppets absolutely the same on that i hate jason goes takes manhattan jason <sighs> on a fucking boat everything okay, the... yeah oh yeah okay. sorry <laughs> jason takes manhattan thing... sucks but i admire its audacity oh, oh yeah but i think the thing <laughs> that makes it worse is that it has so much potential you know yeah and like i like as bad as jason goes to hell is like it's a worse film but I'd rather watch it because it's more interesting. I like. It's not, and I love Jason Goes to Hell. I this is, <laughs> yeah, I love Jason Goes. To I hell. love Jason Goes to Hell, and I've 
you know, I've said it and like, I, we all know guys, like I hate rankings, but mm-hmm. um, Jason goes to hell. When I say it's my favorite, it's not the best. It's the one that when I'm like bored and I kind of want to watch mm-hmm. a Jason movie, I grab hell. Yeah. I love Jason goes to hell so much. I love Jason um, X. I hate, like, hate Jason X, but Jason I know X people love fun. it. Yeah. Lynn's what? Come on. I think come Jason on. X is unwatchable, but like <laughs> personal, it's not a judgment of someone else's decision-making. I love though. hell. It's a fun remake of Alien. It's Jason Goes to Hell. It mirrors. Uh, it's got a lot of sci-fi channel vibes and like yes, I don't know. It's got like it feels, speed, I guess. it feels like Farscape, you know, without the cool creatures. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just like um, yeah. Sorry. I'm so, like I could just yell about Hell for a Do while. we have anything else on Final Desk? I have a whole thing on Rube Goldberg machines, but you know what? We're gonna oh, yeah. see for a future episode because like we've. know hit about two hours right now we definitely have some questions from our listeners and i'm gonna do what i did with a nightmare in elm street for like for like six weeks i'm like i really want to talk about lucid dreaming and i put that in my notes for six weeks until we finally got to talk about it and i'm like damn it i'm putting my foot down right now so we will save the rube goldberg machine for a future installment i think it actually does like as the series goes on, that becomes more and more of a thing. So we can save that. Um, we did get some questions from our listeners. Do you mind if we incorporate that into the show? I yeah, love that. Yeah. I yes. want awesome. to do more of that and I always forget, okay? Oh, so, I love that. This is great. Yeah, I love so that. Okay, go on. From our Facebook page, um, which you go to facebook.com, look for the pod and the pendulum. We've got like a private group. It's moderated and everyone there is really cool. And I'll say that like, we've been getting a number of listeners from our other podcasts, the um, psychoanalysis show have gravitated to pod and the pendulum. And I'm like, oh crap, like we post something on that group every day. I actually should put things in my own group at this point so that like it doesn't waste people's time. So, all right, this one we actually answered, but I'll read the question. So from Jason LeBlanc, do you have any theories on Tony Todd's character in the franchise? He's aware of how death functions in these films, but we're never getting any backstory in him. I think we covered that, but I wanted to mention oh, yeah. that Jason had asked that question. So thank you, Jason. Great question. Um, and I, yeah. It really is. Uh, from Ariel Powers Schwab. I love this question. My question is, what subgenre is this franchise? It's not a slasher, a ghost, a monster, etc. I guess you could call it supernatural, but that feels weak. I it's call survival it... horror. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I call survival it a slasher. Horror. I know mm-hmm. it's like yeah. not, I know I'm saying like slasher asterisk, but this is a slasher to me. Um, it doesn't have that, like, like we were talking about with urban legends. Um, it doesn't have that uh, whodunit element that like the late nineties, early two thousands really mm-hmm. had in their slashers, but it is the model of a group of teens getting picked off one at a time which um, I think it's just kind of like a really cool slasher thing where like the villain isn't really there, but the villain still does have a personality. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think it like, it, I think it like points to the whodunit, you know, it has like yeah. the two cops and like, 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 you know, it, who cares? It's like, it's not a jolly, it's not a slasher. Mm-hmm. So that's so like tertiary, but I think mm-hmm. the thing that like, you know, kind of linking it back to urban legends, like after this movie, it's like, you don't go and check behind your, you know, seat to see if someone's mm-hmm. there with an axe, but you do check your tire pressure. And I think it's yeah. just like it's. I definitely would call it a slasher. Like this one specifically yeah. is a slasher because, yeah, I mean they're just like it's. And you get glimpses of death. You know, it's like you see it in the tea kettle while uh, 
Luton is making tea. You see, like, it's in the wind. It's, like, in the reflection of a fan. It's just, like, it's, it's yeah, it's invisible, but it's also there. Yeah. It, it definitely has all the, like, trappings of a slasher movie. And I think why this series holds up so well, and spoiler alert, I think that this is the best franchise from, like, 2000 to 2010. Like, I really do think that, like, and you can make a case for Saw as well. Like I have only oh, watched Resident Evil. two of those movies. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Resident Evil. Ooh, yeah. Resident... We... Okay. But I, I think that like these movies are just so much goddamn fun. And Resident Evil mm-hmm. two, I think, would fall under that category. But this, you know, like when you get to two thousand three, there were a lot of grim years of horror. And I don't mean like grim as in like there were no good movies. I mean like there were a lot of movies that like really like we just they're not meant to be enjoyed they're meant to really hurt you um mm. and there's a book i'm reading i, I want to say that it's like um torture porn post 9-11 about the horror movies that came out of 9-11 it's a pretty yeah. fascinating read um i need to kind of pick that one up again these movies are all pretty fun overall mm-hmm. and they and they're not fun in a way where like we're going to shy away from brutality like they really lean into it mm-hmm. um but they still keep like a, I would say, you know, light tone might be the way to do it. But I think, you know, uh, might be the wrong way to say it. But I think they're all like enjoyable. Uh, I, I agree. I, I, I'm very interested to listen to Joe's episode mm-hmm. talking about four because yeah. it is kind of painful just how, uh, just how dull and stupid mm-hmm. it can be. And sure. sort of mean spirited. Like I think a lot of these are mean spirited for a purpose. Like it's mm-hmm. almost as if like that meanness is progressive, but in four it just feels stunted. Yeah. And yeah, I do I do think yeah. this or is a I franchise would... that like I could go and revisit all the time, but yeah. I get to that fourth one and I can almost stop and just watch five because I could see that. And I think four definitely yeah. four definitely reflects the kind of characters that were like really that's the kind of characters you saw in almost every genre film of that time like it got to a point where you're like we don't want to root for these characters we want to root to see them die and i think you often see that happen as you get deeper into horror movie franchises the characters i think with the exception of a nightmare in elm street the characters get progressively less likable as the even a nightmare i think by the time you get to like the dream child universe well maybe not i guess they're still kind of likable you yeah yeah, that's true it's really only the remake where the characters are unlikable it's like what separates jason from freddy is that freddy you're rooting against him and jason you're rooting for him in a weird way although i i mean even though you root for freddy Mm -hmm. um you're After, not. Yeah. Well, for Jason's like, if you root for Freddy, you're mm-hmm. kind of an asshole, probably, because he is probably. such a piece of shit in that movie. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's a whole other. Yeah. I think I was like, I walked into that being like, Team Freddy, Freddy's the best. And then mm-hmm. that movie just did all of the work to make me hate Freddy. Mm-hmm. And I like initially gave it the benefit of the doubt that I was like, oh, they want to even the playing field because obviously you're going to root for Freddy. But I was like, no, this is just a poorly written version of a character that people actually <laughs> like. But yeah. <laughs> well because jason's Um, like this like tormented boy you know like he died young supposedly and i don't know he's he's a mute and he's very territorial like Mm -hmm. freddie you know like like leatherface and jason are like if you get near his his property he'll kill you but with Mm -hmm. nightmare it's like 
he's just an antagonist like he loves yeah. stirring the pot and like yeah. he, you can see it in freddy's in freddy's dead which i like i think richard clearly did like a great job uh same you know he's like poking the guy who can't hear with like a mm -hmm. large cotton swab yep. and like and Creeping up I mean, behind it, him yeah freddy's yeah and, and pe people love uh what's the uh the fourth one dream, dream master dream master yeah it's got that scene i think that are four or five where like the girl is sort of like she has an issue with food and he it's like yeah dip. and i thought it was just, it's just so mean and i know yes. people love those deaths and they're very elaborate and the effects work is great but it, it feels so mean and i, I do they're, hate dream child they're mm -hmm. all mean like even um dream warriors three which is like everyone's favorite and certainly one of my favorites because it's um you know the nancy continuation mm -hmm. the deaths in that are the meanest like yes. They're the worst, and I love that movie. And I find I gen I love it, and I rewatch it all the time. But it's difficult for me every time. Like I'm just like, oh my god, oh, he's the like puppet one, yeah. Oh, like like it looks awesome, and then you're like, oh my god, and the way they all react Oof. to it sucks. It sucks. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other. It sucks. Um, yeah, you're right. Freddy's mean. Freddy totally he sucks. I think mean. that like <laughs> I separate so... Freddy from the movies, and like I see him as the like sunglasses wearing like jokester. Yeah, he really does. Well, it's yeah. it's so weird that like the child molesting serial killer and child killer is the one that ended up on all the lunch boxes. And yeah, I submit that he's not a child molester. And... I submit that that was retconned for spiciness in the remake, and that uh, wasn't actually legit. He, I guess, other. originally was, and because of like the culture at the time like there was a couple like I, i'm trying to think of what the california was. kills i think that like real life murders a, and there was like that there was the um there was like a daycare where they were accused of like molesting the kids that was in the courts at the time they're like we got to dial this back a little bit so it's definitely that. suggested by the fourth and fifth movie mm -hmm. yeah. um and i mean i i like dream warrior it's not my favorite uh because i think it starts to introduce the 10,000 maniacs thing yes. and I mm -hmm. kind of hate the whole nun being you raped hate, over and over again. Yeah, plus Natalie mm -hmm. Merchant like who we hate her too. Yeah, the like the <laughs> Freddy lore sucks, but as a like as the like character of Freddy. Yeah, as a character mm -hmm. I love like as a character of Freddy, he's amazing, mm -hmm. but Freddy lore yeah. sucks. Yep. Yep, which is why like I appreciate this franchise. It doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily need or care about expounding on like the yes. lore of death necessarily. Like mm -hmm. yeah. it's it, it it exists because we're all going to get there. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't bother trying to like like it does some weird explanation and background whatever, but it doesn't mm -hmm. bother making us sit down and listen to its like theory of death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah also i mean this is like the franchise where i love how the producers the writers all kind of geek out by giving all the characters like horror director names you have yes. Cooper, mm -hmm. uh luton uh carpenter uh who else have we got we got romero Haney. yeah lewis romero from browning from the third one yeah peter freakin from the fifth one mm -hmm. uh, which is so olivia castle oh yeah oh my god i think that yeah i love that because um I really hate, I love peppering names and allusions into things. And I think it's mm -hmm. so fun, but I also think you can't call a movie like a meta horror comedy or some nonsense just because you name people after characters that already exist. So yeah. I do think it's like done super well. Like it's a cool name. It's like naming someone Loomis all the time. Like there oh, should yeah, always yeah. be a Loomis in every scary movie and it's fine. But if your whole movie hinges on, this is my friend Loomis, gasp audience, then you've done it. You made a bad movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I won't say which popular movie did that very recently, but uh, mm -hmm. you can figure it out. And you I'm can gonna... tweet your rage at me. 
I'm going to plow through a few more of these because yeah, only sorry, because, oh my gosh, um, no, yeah. I we're love like, it. We're, we're like tangent I, all over the place. Yeah. I love the tangents. The I love nature. them. But I, if I have to take my like kiddo to horse in a little bit, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. let one more tangent because this is right next to my question, like trending in politics. Doctor Biden, Joseph Epstein writes a Wall Street Journal opinion piece urging First Lady Elect Doctor Jill Biden to stop using doctor title in front of her name, even though she earned a doctoral degree from the University of Delaware. Joseph Epstein, you can kick rocks. Fuck off. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is from listener Nicole Goebel, uh, Nicole in DC on Twitter, who, by the way, she just started her own podcast, um, Bodies in Horror, which focuses on disability representation in horror movies. And it's part cool. of the show. Congrats. Um, That's part of the pop squad. Yeah, for which so, I am a mentor. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. So your dog, your dog your is like, excited yeah. too. I love Fuck it. Yeah. I love her dog. It's great. I'm very excited about that podcast. Um, it's I really exciting. I enjoyed that first episode. So from from Nicole, um, have any of these films inspired you to do regular death checks, instantly scanning your surroundings when entering into a new environment? and uh, assessing for all means of death. Uh, well, Lindsay is now. Lindsay is, yeah, Lindsay is now um, telling her dog to be quiet, which it's okay. The dog can join. Right, we're, we're closing the door. We're it's not happening. We can cut it out and pretend it never That's happened. No, Jason. <laughs> the dog has some Sorry. thoughts on the franchise. It's so totally cool. Love. Um, can you hear that? No, yeah, barely. Okay, good. All right, I'll try my best here. So the question was, have any of these films inspired you to do regular death checks when uh, scanning your surroundings? That's funny because I feel like we did kind of talk about mm -hmm. that, um, mm -hmm. how the behavior changes. And uh, I think like Greg's anecdote specifically, I don't know that it was necessarily, I'll let you speak to whether it was actually inspired by this movie or, <laughs> or not, but... I don't know. I think this one's interesting that it almost doesn't, but it maybe mm -hmm. encourages you to listen to your gut a little bit more. Yeah. I can't think of an example, but I am a superstitious person. So I definitely, if someone was like, don't go, I'd be like, okay, I will not. I'm not playing that game, mm -hmm. but I can't think of a specific thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the only time I've ever really felt that before was when I used to bike a lot in Boston. If, you know, I went to work and I did the same route. Uh, if I got like a weird feeling, I would just, you know, take a left and bike a different mm -hmm. route. But uh, it's hard to answer that question without thinking of sort of the cultural impact of like school shootings and yeah. theater shootings. And it's kind of like, I mean, no matter where you go now, it's almost as if like you're trained to look for an exit mm -hmm. um, and sort of flesh out your surroundings. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think as somebody, especially who deals with like depression and suicidal like ideation is just mm -hmm. like death is is there um i'm I, I think i'm more in line of looking at creepy guys outside you know windows like alex mm -hmm. you know like just people who you know can intervene because it's when death comes for you it's yeah. i don't plan on necessarily stopping it it will probably just be there and take me yeah. you know i'm someone that's very clumsy by nature so i have thoughts like are um stairs going into the basement where I, I watch a lot of our, our movies in the basement. I've set up like a little unfinished theater in there. And 
like it's like they're tricky to navigate sometimes and i wonder like my wife and daughter travel overseas for a month every year to visit my wife's family and i'm like what if i fell and no one found me um so things like that it's a that's great yeah i know um (laughs) we went to a dark place as a therapist like i um you know wonder like what if i have like a client who has the potential for tremendous violence or um is having like thought disorders and i will sometimes work very late at the center like because i only work there a couple days a week i'll tend to work a little bit later um and i'll wonder like what if i'm the only one there and that happens so there are things like that but i don't like scan like my back seat or or do things like that so but no i, I love that question because i think that does happen um well, I, uh, just not just to interject. I, mean, I am mm-hmm. currently driving with a substantial air pocket and like the sidewall of one of my tires, and mm-hmm. so uh, I am constantly driving and thinking about whether or not that blows out and mm-hmm. how I will handle a get blowout. Check, but please, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I gotta get it fixed. <laughs> from yeah, four- go on. <laughs> from Nathan Smith, uh, Madman Mars eighty five on Twitter. He asked, since it was written as an X-Files spec script, would you love to see that episode and who would guest star? Um, I think this works better as a movie, but in terms of who would guest star, like you guessed it, Frank Stallone. I think it'd be interesting as its own show, Mm -hmm. um, sort of tackling death and every episode. It'd be sort of like Six Feet Under, how every opener starts with someone's death and they're the ones who enter the the morgue and sort of uh, weave themselves into the uh, Fisher family. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be better as like a, a show, I, the longevity of the show, I can't say, but um, I think there's too much to unpack with one episode of anything, be it X-Files or yeah, I don't know, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's definitely a cool, a really cool concept. Mm-hmm. So this one is the last one. I don't think it's so much a question They just, um, had a series of tweets giving us their thoughts on the series, which I'm, you know, I'm totally cool for. Um, so this is from at Joe Stranger 19. Um, they said, you know, Final Destination is the example I point to when studios try to disguise remakes as sequels. Sure, two did its best to continue the story from one by bringing back one character and a later film, I can't remember which one, takes on a twist ending to make it a prequel. That would be part five, which we'll get to. But there's shallow connective tissue to make it a, to make it a franchise. Each film follows the same basic pattern. Big sexy set piece of carnage, pick off survivors one by one. Fate cannot be altered for too long. It's the same damn movie over and over again. My dream sequel for the series is a little too esoteric cosmic for most slasher films. And that's the source of the early film visions. If we're to believe death is a force with an agenda, then it's reasonable to assume the source of visions is trying to disrupt that plan. So something out there with enough cosmic mojo is able to telegraph visions to otherwise normal people to throw a wrench in death's works. Why, for what reason? Like I said, kind of takes the whole direction of the franchise to a more Lovecraftian path that might not sell as many tickets is elaborate death after elaborate death. And yeah, I can see that. Like that's what honestly what I would do for a series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, where I think that it's impossible to replace Robert England. Um, 
I mean, you had an Oscar nom- nominated character actor do that and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. I would say if you reboot Elm Street, do exactly what you're saying there, Joe. And I do like that. I actually like the fact that the, and they do make connections, but you can jump in on any movie. I think sometimes like with horror movies, like Paranormal Activity really suffered from this where like every movie had to be connected to that first one to the detriment of the story where like you had this whole world you could have done um, and you chose not to do it. Yeah, I think there's two, a couple of things here. Like, yeah, that's a really good sequel idea um, to, you know, explore what got us there. That's one sequel idea. I think it was really hard when you're criticizing movies and it's something that a lot of us fall into this trap very often, mm-hmm. but you can't criticize it for not being what you would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really easy to fall into the trap of like, this would have been better if, um, and then really, really writing that into a place where you pick apart mm-hmm. something based on it, not continuing to be that idea that it's not. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think there is a like a really interesting idea is to explore what is bringing the premonitions. And that is a really cool sequel concept. I will mm-hmm. completely agree to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually really awesome. I really like that idea. Um, and that worked in something like Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. Yes. It was mm-hmm. explaining what happened in part one. It could have really failed. And I think for a lot of people it did fail. Um, but I don't think that that's a criticism of the sequels, personally. I think the whole remake, reboot, sequel thing is muddier than we let it. In it is, yeah, it's muddier than we want it to be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a scream for a reboot or a sequel, right? Like, it's obviously a sequel, but it kind of plays on reboots. Like, I mean, that's a meta movie, so maybe it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Evil Dead Two, or like, there's so many things like that where you could pick that apart. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't think it's a criticism of the franchise. I think what it kind of does, as opposed to exploring, you know, the cause of the premonitions and what they mean, which I think the movie did a good job sparing us of uh, doing that, um, it shows that it's bigger than one person. So Alex isn't some chosen one. Alex isn't the only one who's had this intervention happen before. It actually happened to other people in a loop, somewhat in a loop, but it happens to other people. Other people are having premonitions. Other people are seeing death coming and it kind of changes, you know, the expansion of the lore isn't what causes it. It's that it is happening and it's not just happening to Alex and that's mm-hmm. the expansion. So I think it's really effective as a sequel and I, yeah. I disagree with the, with it. Um, not, I disagree with the negative implication. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I think I, you could take that vision with a different franchise, but I think that these movies work because you can jump in in any part and because the conceit is so simple and strong, like I like that it doesn't get too convoluted. At a certain point, I think what happens is like whoever comes on feels this need to like put their own stamp on something that's already working and they kind of muddy up the waters at that point in a way Mm -hmm. that I don't really like. All right. So this is- Wait, Greg has an answer, I feel like. Uh, No, I was just gonna like, yeah, I think it'd be really cool if we got like a prequel prequel to five that like was like an early period piece, mm-hmm. you know, took place in like colonial village. And it was just like death was like, you know, someone died by churning butter or like, you know, hitting a evil a dead three or something. Yeah, evil dead three style. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I do like right. that. <laughs> so this has been a really fun discussion of the first movie. So I'm really excited to see where we're gonna go with the next four of these. 
Um, so this is the uh, point where, Greg, tell us a little bit about what you are working on. Where can our listeners find you? I know you mentioned Daily Grindhouse in the intro, but where can folks find your work? Um, I mean, I do have a column over at Talk Film Society, although I haven't touched it in over a year. And mm-hmm. for that, I am sorry, everybody. Um, but um, I'm trying to get back into writing more. Um, I mostly bake. Um, I started doing a delivery service ever since the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. I drive up to Boston to do. Um, that's Lone Wolf Bread Co. If anybody wants to follow my ugly bread yes. photos. <laughs> well, they're not ugly and I absolutely follow it, but go on. <laughs> um yeah but other than that daily grindhouse i'm keep i'm like making a new year's resolution to sort of get back into writing because i do mm-hmm. have a, a, a column where i revisit films that are having their 40th anniversary so mm-hmm. 1981 um is a great year and i'm looking forward to sort of yeah the- that's a year to get back into it if anything yeah but yeah. this bread company what like when you say delivery service do you to deliver just to like the local area or do you also like ship nationwide um i mean with our like twitter watch group i've been meaning to bake and (laughs) mail some bread Mm because that's something i've done um but no i uh since i'm in providence all my subscribers are in boston um Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a trek but it's it's worth it it kind of gets me because as somebody who went to four different colleges and never finished it's nice Mm -hmm. to bake every week and actually finish something and see that final product what what got you into baking like was it i know like for me i started the bake a little bit during the pandemic just because it's relaxing mm-hmm. um but it sounds like for you it's a little bit more like it actually allows oh. you to yeah yeah, yeah. My, well, my full-time job is baking for a company mm-hmm. called seven stars bakery um mm-hmm in providence they have about four shops right now mm-hmm. um and i made mostly started when i moved to richmond virginia and i was just mm-hmm. super broke uh, i started baking bread and um looking back at those it's you know super rough start but um my dad was a chef and so most of my childhood growing up i was like you know i don't want to become that at all mm-hmm. because he was generally unhappy and seemed like baking or cooking ruined his you know passion and mm-hmm. um yeah i kind of fell into it because i started doing it at home and i loved it and as a perfectionist it's like you know it could you could beat your head against the wall trying to perfect bread especially working with sourdough but it's mm-hmm. i don't know it's something that kind of gives meaning to a lot of things in a way mm-hmm. how so um i just think working with uh something sort of living you know like a culture mm-hmm. like sourdough that's uh it's always changing, whether with climate, with age, with temp, with time. And I think it's something that's, uh, yeah, sort of make, it, it makes baking a bit more introspective. Um, yeah, I guess you kind of learn a bit about yourself by just, uh, creating. And I know that like, when I watch, like I started to watch great British bake off of my wife, which I never <laughs> thought I would enjoy. And I know they're always like, we're looking for like, universal bakes like we want them to all look the same and like you had just said because you're working with yeast and these cultures that like it's these active ingredients like it seems like it's impossible to get something to work the same like it's almost like every time you make it it's going to be a little bit different and a little bit more yeah 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 Yeah. i actually i think just yesterday uh waxwork records on instagram Mm -hmm. posted this like little 
back behind the scenes video of them pressing vinyl and mm-hmm. you know each vinyl they press is slightly different with like mm-hmm. you know the, the splatter they do and yeah uh, in, in, in in bread every loaf is different whether i score it differently or mm-hmm. it, you know proofs differently or you know because i mean fermentation is like super tricky but mm-hmm. yeah i do kind of like the uniqueness of that but um i mean the, what they're doing the great the british baking shows i mean i i don't do pastry very much and that mm-hmm. stuff is like wizardry to me <laughs> i like can bake so. to save my life um you could, I could make a lot today though i can I, when the machine does it <laughs> push yeah, of a button no <laughs> I know I that cook. I like I'm not useless, but I cannot bake. The <laughs> idea of baking bread just seems like yeah. completely impossible to me. Like it's something I will never do because well, maybe, I but I can never like I'm never making a pie crust. It's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. No, my wife, you gotta try it. My wife does not I'll listen fail. to our show. So um, I will say I'll probably order some because she's gotten really into home baking for bread. And like I've ordered her a bunch of like supplies to like really like kind of improve on it because it brings her like this real joy like she loves doing it um but just 25 like, minutes away from me so i mean that's i am dry. ordering i that's what i'm just saying right now it says lone wolf bakery on instagram lone wolf bread co lone wolf bread co okay yeah so i've just circled that and um let's talk man i'm having you come up to deliver some bread and cool uh, uh, yeah Harry oh. Nielsen bread. Let's do uh, takeaway. Let's do it. We'll have a little outdoor social distancing with <laughs> Harry. I'm like so jealous of this whole situation. Like there better be bread photos all up and down social media so that I can well, live vicariously. We better be able to go to like Fantasia next summer and like raise a glass to one another. Okay, like this better be able. To I believe. I believe, you. guys. I'll, I'll raise a loaf. All right. <laughs> so, um, Lindsay, tell us about you know we've you know you have like an appearance on horror queers coming up. Can I listen to that in the car with a 10 year old driving to horse? Wouldn't. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, I don't know. It gets a little spicy uh, a couple of points because uh, Joe and Trace can... will not allow you to not get spicy. So she can handle a little spice. We're good. All right. Yeah, it's, a little, it's not sweary. It's a little spicy. But yes, yeah. I just did Horror Queers. Um, I did their Batman Mask of the Phantasm episode. It was really, really fun and I really enjoyed it. And um, listen to that if you don't already mm-hmm. listen to their podcast because they will be joining us later in the final destination episodes and i would want to get a primer on those i am studs. so excited to have them both and they're on for separate episodes and actually tomorrow joe is recording with us on psychoanalysis we're doing a comfort horror movie on black christmas which comes out oh, yeah, our excellent. christmas day 2006 so, or? no the og the og okay. which i think has arrived i ordered the i have the dvd but i just ordered the special edition blue in I need to go to take her to horse in a minute, right? Okay. My wife well, is just giving me the clock. She the is clock that the lovely. Um, so listeners, I will say this really quick. Thank you for listening. We'll insert our Patreon spiel elsewhere in the episode. Um, follow us over at Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter. Join our Facebook group. That's right, puppy. Join our Facebook group. And I love that your dog is a hype man for our show. Like, he is welcome on every time. He's like, yeah, motherfucker. Join our me. Facebook group. Kill him. Doing no, this tough guy bark. No. This tough guy um, bark. Listen I love to this. Um, Greg, I love plug it. your socials quickly. Yes, my bad. Plug uh, the socials. Real Brew for both Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah, and then Lone Wolf Bread Co. On and then, Instagram. And for us, Pod and Pendulum on Twitter. Pod and Pendulum over in Facebook. Find the group our patreon go to patreon.com slash pod and pendulum 
and get our bonus content. We'll be back next week with Jenny Nolf and Brian Kuiper to talk Final Destination 2. Our get- as soon as we said like Final Destination, like Lindsay had five guests and I had like three more like in two minutes like everybody like, is oh, like yeah. Oh, yeah um if we're gonna be final destination i have a few names i want to run so, by you we're psyched oh, thank you <laughs> all right everybody have a great week and thanks for listening bye okay.